This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live from the Matt Blatt Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Will today be the day that we find out more on the Philadelphia Eagles and their future? Well, we'll see. I am Mike Gill, and this is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Josh Henning producing today's show. You out there. We've got a ton to get into today as the Eagles are having their locker clear out day. It's kind of the day that you meet your maker, right? Or so we think. You go and talk to Jeffrey Lurie, Howie Roseman, and you basically get told what your season was like and what we thought of the year that you had and should give you some indication on whether you may or may not be back next season for the free agents, whether or not we're interested in bringing you back and all that kind of jazz. But here's one thing that we have found out for today. Jeffrey Lurie, Howie Roseman, or Nick Sirianni, all three of them, not talking the Nick Sirianni one is the one you got to read into and try to figure out something here. It is interesting because Sirianni's not talking. Is that a clear indication that he is in some trouble? Well, if you remember a couple of years ago, Doug Peterson did talk because they had no intentions of firing Doug Peterson. They fired Doug Peterson down the road because Doug Peterson couldn't come to terms with what management wanted. This time around, they decided we're not going to go down that route. We're not going to put this in, uh, put our head coach out there and put this in his hands to go out there and say things. We're going to talk to him first, and maybe, just maybe, he doesn't get out of this thing. So that could happen at any moment, at any time today. It's something that we definitely have to consider is that if, Nick Sirianni's not talking today. He might be in some trouble. 609-403-0973. The text board is open. A lot of text messages from yesterday's show that we never got to. We'll do our best to get to all of them today. Also, we asked you this simple question, and a lot of you are chiming in on this. Just straight up, straight out. Hey, do you guys out there think that Nick Sirianni should be the head coach of this football team? Do you think that Nick Sirianni, would you fire or keep Nick Sirianni as the Eagles head football coach? If he was to stand in front of you and give his resume, he would say, look, I'm 36 and 20, three seasons. I've taken to the playoffs all three years. I won the NFC East. I have two playoff wins and I took you to the Super Bowl. Please give me another shot. What would you say if you were in charge? 609-403-0973. And a lot of comments already coming in here. Tom says, you got to fire him. The team had an epic collapse and he failed to do anything to try to fix it. He lost the locker room. If he needs more experienced staff around him to win, then he isn't head coaching material. That's interesting, Tom. Is he not a head coaching material if he needs an experienced staff around him? Can he still not... I think he's already proven you to be wrong about that. He did have an experienced staff around him. Actually, I wouldn't say experienced. John Gannon had never been a defensive coordinator before. 
Shane Steichen, I think, was a play caller in San Diego, and this is when they were San Diego. Um, but they weren't, like, really experienced guys. But, Tom, you're saying if he needs more experience around him, then he's not head coaching material. But they went to a Super Bowl with Nick Sirianni. So he has already proven with the right pieces he can be part of the puzzle. The problem I might have with Nick and that whole, if that's his pitch, I've been to the Super Bowl with experienced guys around me. The problem is you are now, it's a two against one. You've got to hit on two coaches instead of just one coach. Now, you could kind of walk that back and say, well, what are you talking about, Gil? You're going to have to hit on three coaches if you fire Sirianni because you're going to have to hire a new coordinator on offense and defense and the head coach. But generally, the guy that you're hiring is going to bring coordinators with him. So really, you got to hope you hit on the head coach and that he brings the guys, the right guys with him. Fred says he needs better coordinators, offensive and defensive. Need a better secondary. Need to have players who actually tackle people. Why was Julio Jones even here? If you weren't going to throw him the ball. So keep Sirianni unless he's lost the locker room. Then he has to go. Well, Fred, there's a lot of uh, contradictory stuff there. Get rid of him. He needs better coordinators. This, that, the other thing. He's lost the locker room. We don't know if he's lost the locker room. Only people inside the locker room will know that. But you said this. He needs better coordinators. Check. Yes, we agree. Need a better secondary. Yes, problem is, and this is something that's going to be discussed throughout the week here, Slay and Bradbury have looked like, they look like they both have slipped in production. Let's be kind with the uh, description of their play. Bradbury had an epic collapse last year, and Slay was good, not great. Then he got hurt. Then he got hurt again. I mean, we haven't even heard the update on where he is. He got carted off the field on Sunday. You're paying those guys a lot of money for the next two years. And, Josh, maybe you can do some contractual digging on when they can get out of those deals, what's the penalties, or is it a fait accompli that they have to be back next year? So I'll leave that little uh, assignment to you. You have to have players who actually tackle, says Fred. Yes, that's a big part of playing defense, tackling. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say the rules of the NFL prevent you from tackling in practice, which in some parts they do, but other teams tackle better than you. That's because other teams practice better than you. They practice better tackling techniques, whether it's hitting a dummy, a sled, some sort of apparatus that isn't another human being. You have to just consistently do it over and over and over and over, and their tackling was embarrassing the last six weeks of the season. Their tackling the first 11 weeks of the season was on par with generally everybody else, and everybody's fighting. You can't hit in practice. You can't wear pads. You're not allowed to tackle. This is all safety-related stuff, but you got to be better. No doubt about it, Fred. Why was Julio Jones even here? Interesting question if you weren't going to throw him the ball. You know, I think what the Eagles tried to do, they weren't signing Julio Jones as a, this guy's going to take us over the top. It was, let's just get a veteran guy in here in the case that A.J. Brown or, or Smith got hurt. The problem was, 
They never got hurt. Not a problem. It's a good thing. They never got hurt, so Jones was never really needed. He was kind of stash break glass in case of emergency. Well, you had an emergency in the playoffs, and Julio Jones had a play, and he got knocked out of the game. So Jones was never intended to come here to help you win. He was here as a veteran player at a position that you were really lacking at. You know, when you had to go to Quez Watkins in Almeida Zacchaeus, who was quite frankly a epic disappointment. Zacchaeus was just a guy that when they brought him in, people thought he was going to be an upgrade over what you had. He had been a pretty serviceable guy in Atlanta, a sure-handed player. He had no role in this offense at all. So, Fred, I don't think Julio Jones was ever intended to be a part of the offense. He was just kind of break glass in case of emergency that we have a guy who's a Hall of Famer. I mean, Julio Jones is going to the Hall of Fame. He's one of the greatest wide receivers to ever play the game. But that shows you what happens to a player when he's no longer the player that he was. Julio Jones is a microcosm of a lot of guys on this roster. Once great players, and it happens quick. Julio Jones went from, you know, the Eagles were in the Super Bowl in 2017. They played Julio Jones and beat him to get there. He, at that time, was one of the best players in the world. In 2017, when the Eagles knocked out the Falcons, that play, if Julio Jones makes that catch, the Eagles don't win the Super Bowl. In 2017, Julio Jones had 1,400 yards. He followed that season up with 1,600 yards. He had a season of 1,500 yards and 1,800 yards and 14 and 14 and 16 and 13. He's one of the greatest wide receivers to ever play the game. Until he wasn't. And when he wasn't, he just wasn't. I mean, he went from one of the greatest wide receivers to ever play the game to nothing. Just another guy. And that happened in 2019. He was 30 years old. He had 99 catches for 1,400 yards and six touchdowns. Really good year. And then the next year, he had 700 yards. And then the following year, he barely played in Tennessee. He had 400 yards. And then he was in Tampa, and he had 300 yards. And then he's in Philly, and he had 74 yards. It happens fast. And the Eagles, you know, they got James Bradbury at Julio Jones' like 1,300-yard season. And then this year, the unfortunate part is he went from Julio Jones' 1,300-yard season to Julio Jones' 74-yard season. Bradbury's drop was so steep, but you can't constantly rely on so many guys of that age, and it stinks to say that. You know, there was a time when the Eagles were notorious for just cutting ties with a guy when they were 30 years old. Didn't matter. And it was Jeremiah Trotter, and it was Hugh Douglas, and it was Trey Thomas, and it was... Brian Dawkins, and they just said, you're 30 years old. You're just not going to be the same player anymore. And instead of maybe getting one more good year out of you, we're going to get you before you fall apart on us. And it was so unpopular, right? It was such an unpopular way to run the organization. And they got burned on the Dawkins thing because he was so popular. And then he went to Denver and he wins a Super Bowl. But they were generally right. On all of those decisions, 
The guy was 30. They said, we're not bringing you back. The guy went someplace else, and then he couldn't play. They might have to start looking at that as a way that they think about these things again. So here's a quick review of Bradbury and Slay's contract. Let's first start with Bradbury because he had the biggest drop-off. So you basically, if you go by spot track and over the cap and you compare the numbers, if you would basically be losing money if you get rid of Bradbury before 2026. It's more than the dead cap hit that you have, $15 million. It's also the fact you're saving zero money on the cap. So it's a double whammy. Whereas, like, for example, in 2026, it's a $7.7 million cap hit, but you're saving $13 million. So you're stuck with Bradbury, unless he re- reworked his contract, until 2026. That's not good. It's horrible. Yeah. that that's That's a tough one to swallow because I don't know what you do with Bradbury. Slay actually has a worse dead cap hit if you release him, which is $35 million mm. instead of fifteen. You cannot save money on Slay until you get to 2026. Yeah, now, I, I, I don't know what you do. I, if you just bit the bullet, swallowed it, and said, we're just going to let both of these guys go, what happens? Uh, well, for the only way you can do that is if you designate them as a post-June 1st uh, release. So in 2025, if you do it after June 1st, you could save $4.6 million. For Bradbury, post June 1st in 2025, after June 1st is a $4.7 million savings. So technically, unless you renegotiate the deals, you are stuck with them and saving no money until after June 1st. 2025. Yeah, those two are your biggest. I think those two are your biggest two decisions of the offseason. What are you going to do? Jason uh, from OTC over the cap, uh, he's kind of their their contractual guy, tweeted this out the other day. He said the Eagles will have about $21 million in cap room for 2024. Not a great position to create a ton of cap room, but they can possibly add another $35 million if they make some decisions here. And this is where you can kind of hope that it, that that uh, that Howie Roseman is at his best is trying to figure out some you know he tangles this web right can he figure out that he have in his mind how am i going to untangle some of these problems if they come up and that is a big ask and hope with this situation, because when you signed James Bradbury, you probably weren't thinking that he was going to have such a drop off. But in the back of your mind, are you saying, I'm going to give him this contract, but I have a way to get out of it if he ex- if we could bring him back at this number, Jeffrey, don't worry. I have a way that I can figure out a way to get out of it. My big if question with Bradbury is if he can't play corner anymore, do you try to play him at safety? Like you bring I don't have new... the answer to that question. I don't think he's ever done it, so I'm not going to no, sit here he and pretend. Oh, yeah, I mean, could you try him in the slot? I think they tried him at, there this year. That didn't really work. 
Um, he doesn't have the foot speed anymore. It worked for one game. Basically. Yeah, I mean, he, but yeah, he just doesn't have the speed. He, he's a taller, lanker. Now, I would ask this question. Was he in the right system? Did they use him the right way? He That's is a, a press question. corner kind of guy. He is not kind of a zone guy. And was he being asked to play too much zone? I think Bradbury got burned a lot playing man at times this past year. So I don't know if you if you played him differently than what they played him last year. That's why I'm wondering, like, if you, whoever the next defensive play caller is, do you hire that guy with the thought of, hey, what should we do with Bradbury? And that guy says, let me put him at safety. That'll open up so you can, you know, you don't have to go out and sign another safety. Maybe that's an answer, but yeah, then, I, I don't think I don't that I, I don't think that he is a guy that can make that change. I could be completely wrong. He's not a great tackler. I mean, safety, you need to be a good tackler. He it's was true. awful in the game the other night, and he was awful all season. So watching him try to attempt to tackle, I'm not all that interested in playing him in a position that really leans on someone to have to be able to tackle. Um, so that that is that. The Sirianni thing. You know, I don't know what's going to happen with him. We're going to keep our eye on it throughout the course of the day. Him not talking today, does that tell anybody anything? Does him not getting the chance to go out there and answer questions or the team saying, look, we don't want you to go out there and have to answer questions. You know why? Because we don't have an answer on your future yet. Um, does Does that give anybody any insight into the way the Eagles could be thinking? And we'll talk to Mike McGarry about that coming up in less than 10 minutes from now. But I do want to answer some of these uh, responses on the social media sites as well. 609-403-0973. We answered from Tom and Fred. Let's go to uh, John. He says, fire Nick. He is the head coach and did not make the sufficient head coaching adjustments during the season regarding personnel, schemes, and required second-half changes during the game. He's not wrong about a lot of that stuff. I mean... I don't know what you want to do about in-season personnel. They just didn't have a lot of talent to change. I mean, you could say, okay, I mean, you could say Bradbury shouldn't have been playing. Fine. The problem was Slay got hurt, so you had to use the guy that you maybe said Slay was there. Maybe they would have replaced Bradbury with Ringo or Ricks. The other problem was the slot guy was hurt for a lot of the season, so you were using Ringo and Ricks and that type of player in the slot out of position. So I, the, there's not a lot of personnel decisions that you can really say, what are you doing? I mean, I wasn't a big fan of how much, but come on, it was inconsequential of, of how much they used um, Gainwell. Uh, who else would you say, why do they keep playing this guy, and why isn't that guy getting more time? I mean, I'd like to hear from John on that, but he just said he didn't make sufficient head coaching adjustments during the season regarding personnel schemes okay you know it's a big question how much does Nick Sirianni have on the coordinators on scheme and if he has a big part in what they're calling and what they're doing then fine but I have to say too I think that Jalen Hurts has to be held accountable for some of those things he's in on that and if you're a, a player with a $250 million salary in the face of the team, I would think your voice looms pretty large. And if Jalen Hurts thought there was problems with the schemes and some of the 
lack of adjustments or inability to pick up blitzes, he might say, yo, coach, this isn't working, man. We got to try some other things. And if Nick said, no, we're doing what we do, then that's on Nick. But I think Jalen Hurts could have a voice in on that. I just don't understand, you know, how how there could be on one hand it says Jalen Hurts is not happy and then nothing changed. Like, I don't understand how this never got better. And for me, Mike, you know, we've all seen the videos online. You know, you can name from Brian Baldinger to Emmanuel Acho to Dan Olofsky. They all keep putting out videos of what's wrong with the Eagles' offense. And it's like, well, why didn't the Eagles see what was wrong yeah. with the Eagles' well, offense? Well, and it's, a, it's all across to me. Why didn't the Eagles see it? Who... Okay, did Brian Johnson just say, I don't know what to put in. They keep blitzing, but I don't really have that in my playbook. What do you want me to do? I can't imagine that was a discussion. Like, I can't I can't see that. Right. Like, Sirianni, like, we've had McMullen on and said, look, Sirianni, they, he ran an offense in Indianapolis. The whole damn thing was dump-offs and blitz packages, right. hot routes and hot reads when he was the coordinator for Phillip Rivers. The whole offense is him just dumping it off. By the way, Shane Steichen, he coached Phillip Rivers as well at one point. With the Chargers. So they both coached Philip Rivers as a guy that'd be like, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, boom, get the ball out of your hand. Well, Steichen's not here, so he's kind of uh, a big part of why we're having this conversation. Well, what I'm saying is Steichen, should, shouldn't that be an influence on Sirianni? Well, offense? that's what I'm saying. Sirianni would be the guy that you would say he was a part of that offense. He definitely had that stuff. Now, if you're trying to convince me that Steichen put in the blitz package, you know, hot reads and stuff, I mean, that's ridiculous uh, to say that you have a guy who, uh, I, I mean, I go back to the show Suits where Mike basically, you're, you're supposed to pass the bar, go to Harvard Law to get hired at this firm. Well, right. he did neither of them. He just bluffed his way into getting this job. Right. You're telling me Sirianni bluffed his whole way getting this job? I mean, come on. Well, that's why it doesn't make sense to me. Like, where is the disconnect here? 609-403-0973. Uh, Charlie says you have to keep them. It was a total collapse at the end of the season, but they did try making changes with the D coordinator. Another season won't hurt. This sounds like a non-Eagles fan. Uh, they did try to make changes with the coordinator, but Charlie, I would say that's a strike against them. It's a panic move at 10-2 and two or whatever their record was to make a change because you lost a game against the Dallas Cowboys and the 49ers, and you're just saying, hey, we, we were 10-2. and two. We're just going to change our coordinator. I think that was a, the first sign of panic that the coaching staff told the players, no, we don't think we're good enough. And the whole thing was handled so weird. You know, like you mentioned, Mike, back in December, how typically when you change coordinators, you fire a guy and promote someone. You don't say... Hey, you're still the defensive coordinator, but someone else is a play call. Yeah, it was a uh, mess, and it just kind of carried all through the last five weeks of the season. Hey, it's Mike Gill telling you about my friends at Progressive Fence and Rally. They're your secret weapon. You know, we've had some snow and some wind and some rain. You need to get a durable fence or a durable railing or a very upgraded deck for these winter months so that you can hang outside in the spring and summer seasons which will be here before you know it. Do it with my guys over at Progressive Fence and Rail. Get a free estimate that fits your budget. Go to ProgressiveFenceAndRail.com. Coming up, Mike McGarry. 
John Marks, Philadelphia sports personality, will join me at 3 o'clock. And football at 4 with Jeff Mosher today. Who's in? Who's out? Which free agents are back? Who goes? Who stays? That's all today on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. It's with Mike Gill. Do I have everybody's attention now? On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. All right, 231 Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. John Marks at 3 o'clock. Jeff Bosher coming up today at 4 for football at 4. A couple more of your messages on social media today. You guys sent in 609-403-0973. Terry says, keep Sirianni, but bring in an OCDC with head coaching experience in case you have to pull the trigger midseason. Three years, three playoffs, and a Super Bowl appearance should buy you at least the chance of one more year. Terry, I agree with what you're saying in terms of the three years, three playoffs, the Super Bowl, and all that stuff. But I would say there is no precedent of what we just witnessed, of anybody ever convincing me that this has been the worst drop that you've ever seen in your life in terms of any professional sport where you just went from one of the best teams in the league to completely not competitive. It's a different thing if you just lost five games and you lost 28-24 and you played really well, but the other team just made one play and you just didn't make the big play. You were atrocious in those games. Every one of them. In none of the games were you competitive. Let's bring Mike McGarry in from the Press of Atlantic City to get his take uh, on what is next for the Eagles, who obviously, Mike, uh, it's clean-out day today, but no Lori, no Roseman, no Sirianni. So is there some messaging? Are you reading some tea leaves here? No Sirianni talking. Last time this happened, Peterson did talk, and then he got let go a couple weeks later, but no Sirianni today. Anything to read there or, or not really? Yeah, it reads to me that maybe Nick Sirianni should put a for sale sign on, on the front lawn of his house, wherever he lives, because that's not a good sign. I mean, if if he was going to come back or was 100% certain that he was coming back, why not let him speak today as to what happened? So the fact that you don't hear from Lori, you don't hear from Roseman, you don't hear from Sirianni means changes are coming. It's just to me, it's just a matter of what those changes are. Yeah, I mean, I I can agree that they're probably meeting today and having these conversations, maybe learning from the Peterson thing, letting him talk, and then having the conversation. This time, talking first and then making the decision. But you're saying to you, signs point towards him not talking today kind of means they're having a conversation and it's probably not going well. Yeah, I mean, to me, and again, you know, we've been talking about this for, you know, six or seven weeks now, and to me... I've been pro Sirianni, right? I've been that it's been crazy to sort of suggest to fire a guy who is taking to the playoffs three straight years and took you to the Super Bowl last year. But I, you know, after watching the game Monday night, I mean, and seeing the total collapse and just seeing they got worse week in and week out, you know, the Giants win was bad. The loss to Arizona was worse than the week before. The loss to the Giants was worse than the loss to Arizona. And then coming out Monday night and being non-competitive in a playoff game against Tampa Bay uh, really just blows my mind how they played and how non-competitive and effortless they looked. Um, you know, so I think there's a lot of issues there. 
And boy, you know, it would be unprecedented to fire a coach who took you to the Super Bowl last year. But what they've been through is almost unprecedented. So maybe it takes an unprecedented response to respond to this situation. Yeah, Mike. And and in this instance, a lot of times we talk about the aesthetics of a game not meaning all that much. Like, hey, you won the game. It doesn't matter what the aesthetics were. But in the end, it sounds like it, this decision, the aesthetics of how you lost the games does matter. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they came out Monday night and looked like they didn't care. Now, if you go down to Tampa and 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 you lose on a last-second field goal, that would be tough to swallow. This is a Tampa team that, what, scored nine points against Carolina the week before and barely made it into the playoffs themselves. This was not Tom Brady back there. This was Baker Mayfield back there, you know? So um, just the way they lost, the body language. You know, Jalen Hurts, what he looks like on the sidelines, what he looks like in in press conferences. He looks like he doesn't have a pulse at all. The way he played, I mean, he was terrible Monday night. He was terrible against the Giants. I mean, what's happening to him? So to me, look, I was a guy who said that, you know, to fire a coach who's been successful as Sirianni would be crazy. But I've changed my mind after seeing them play Monday night, the body language, just how they looked. I mean, this is you know, I don't know what went wrong, but, you know, uh, it needs to be fixed. And, and, and a couple of guys need to go. And, and let's not give Howie a, a free pass here because, you know, he signed a lot of these players. He brought in a lot of veterans that didn't work during the season. And a lot of these young guys, the vaunted University of Georgia defense that was coming up here to sort of wreck havoc, you know, uh, they faded as the season went on also. So this is a football team with, with a lot of issues right now. Yeah, it does, Mike. And uh, I would guess, you know, if you had a crystal ball, you know, to the end of the week, do you think there will be more finger pointing and stories coming out about more than just this team wasn't talented enough? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you've got to ask yourself, if I'm Jeffrey Laurie right now, I've got to ask myself one question. Uh, and that question is, I just gave the quarterback – $250 million, right? And I gave the quarterback before him $200 million, and he didn't work out, so we had to make a change. Is is Who can get Jalen Hurts back on track? Because he was not, uh, you know, as well as he played early in the season, he was not the Jalen Hurts of last year, and he was absolutely terrible, terrible Monday night. He was terrible against the Giants. He was terrible in Seattle, uh, you know, he did not play well over the last seven, eight weeks of the season. He regressed. So why did he regress? And how can I get my $250 million quarterback back on track? And here's the other question you got to ask yourself right now if you're Jeffrey Laurie. If you start next season 0-3, are you firing Nick Sirianni at that point? Are you making a change at that point? If you go 7-9 next season, are you making a change so if you're going to do that next season, why not just get rid of him right now? Oh, I I think that's a good point. I brought it up yesterday, Mike. You're in the Brandon Staley situation where, you know, everybody kept saying, hey, it's time to move on from this guy. Now, he didn't accomplish nearly as much as Sirianni, but the whispers were there. You got to move on. He's holding the team back. He's making too many mistakes. And then you essentially wasted this season because you brought a guy back that pretty much the murmurs were should have gone. And I agree that that you don't want to be in that situation where you're in the middle of a year and you're realizing I should have done what I thought I should have done in January. Instead, now I'm doing it in November. 
Right, exactly. And, and if you come out, let's just imagine what the talk is. You know, they come out and lose the opener next year to whoever they play the opener. Let's say they lose 35-14 and they were unimpressive. Then you're right back where you are right now. So, And again, you've got a lot of good coaches out there. You know, Laurie has never hired a guy. Um, I believe that, well, he hired Chip Kelly, who was a head coach in college, but he wasn't a head coach in the NFL before he came here. So I don't know if Laurie is a guy who would go in the uh, Mike Vabel, Belichick, Harbaugh sort of area. Would he look for another assistant? I don't know. But, you know, the way they played Monday night, you know, just sort of changed my mind. It was alarming. And more to me than the way they played, it's just Jalen Hurts, his body language on the sidelines, that sort of distant look in his eyes, you know, his, his one-word answers during press conferences, you know. Well, would you say, um, Mike, then you know, his I'm biggest – I'm worried about that. Would you say then, Mike, that his biggest asset is now also becoming maybe his biggest negative? Well, as, as far as Jalen Hurts. Like, right, yeah, Hurts. Uh, I mean, everybody said right. when this guy got drafted it, or when he got the job, it was never – great arm or accurate passer or just you know re it was always this guy's a great leader of men but is that also the one thing that might be his detriment well you're you're hearing now from behind the scenes and stories coming out that maybe he's not the, just a great leader and what would worry about me now we're not in no reporter is in the building when actual like kind of work is being done. We're not in the team meetings. We're not in the locker room before the game. I'm just telling you what I see on television. He looks like a guy who is kind of checked out a little bit or trying to distance himself from the situation. And you can't pay somebody $250 million and have them distance themselves from the situation. And regardless of how he looks on the sidelines or in press conferences, we all agree that he regressed this season big time as a quarterback and regressed big time in the last three or four weeks. And that's got to be turned around and, uh, you know, put in an opposite direction for the Eagles to get back on track here. And do, is Sirianni the guy to do that? And at this point, I don't think so. Yeah, do we think he regressed because he regressed or that this offense was inept, was an inept scheme, system? Right, I think combination of a uh, combination of both, right? Because the weapons are still there. Uh, you know, he still had wide receivers, two wide receivers, the tight end. Uh, you know, so uh, was he injured? The finger, the knee? Who knows? Uh, is it you know the play calling, their inability to handle a blitz? Did San Francisco really put the blueprint out there? I don't know what the issue is. I just know it has to be fixed or else the Eagles are in big time. And, and right now, you'd say they're they're on the verge of giving back-to-back quarterbacks $200 million. Oh, I definitely think they're going to be... Out, I definitely you know? think they're going to be a little, uh, little uh, gun-shy in the future when it comes to a quarterback signing. Uh, they've been burned now twice giving these early contracts. Let me ask about your opinion with Roseman. He is a lightning rod for many. I mean, he was the most hated man forever. Then he wins the Super Bowl, and he kind of cooled everybody off. But in your mind, is it just a fait accompli that he has, like, the lifetime job as the general manager as long as Jeffrey Lurie's here? Yeah, I mean, that's what it certainly looks like, though. I think we are getting to a point here where you can say how many coaches – 
does Harry Roseman get to hire, right? That's the old question about, you know, GMs, right? How, how many coaches do they get to hire? If he fires Nick GMs Sirianni, that, if he fires Nick Sirianni, I believe this will be the fifth head coach that he right, has hired. Right. Most GMs get two, right? They get to bring in a guy, and then if that guy doesn't work out, they get to try to correct the mistake. And then if that guy doesn't work out, then they're gone. So I guess, you know, but Roseman is attached at the hip with, with Laurie. So uh, the question there is how many coaches does Laurie get to fire? And, and the answer there is as many as he wants. So, uh, you know, because he owns the team. So that's that's the big issue right now uh, you know i just think with howie we got i think overall he's done a good job i just think you know he runs people either are all in or all out he's either terrible or every pick he makes is tremendous and every signing he makes is tremendous and obviously the truth is some years he's very good some years he's not very good that's the nature of the personnel business and i don't think this was one of his better years. And the other thing I think happened to them is I think a lot of players just got old all at once. I think the offensive line got a little old at once. I think the defensive secondary got old. uh, And I think that didn't help them as the season went on. Yeah. And another, you know, the one thing with Roseman, while I agree, he did not have his finest moments. Some of the decisions he made, you almost think though, is he, is he it's like you, you we all have that guy that does something and he doesn't tell anybody else how to do it because he wants to be the one that fixes it roseman does he sign bradbury saying i can figure a way to get out of this deal you know it might not work for 2023 but i'll make sure we get out of it if you bring someone else in here are they going to have the ability to clean up some of those mistakes and if you're working on cleaning up someone else's mistakes are you able to do the job the way you want to do the job if part of your job is fixing someone else's problems yeah i I mean look i think howie's got enough of a track record here where i would not you know uh say he's a guy who's got to go i think he's under some scrutiny i think if i own the eagles i would say to howie like we missed on some players this year. What can we do? With, what changes can we make in our personnel department to improve ourselves? But I'm not advocating, uh, you know, for, for, for Howie to go. I mean, he's still a guy. You know, he's had his hits and misses, but he's got some, some big-time hits on that uh, on his resume. And, look, he signs Bradbury, right? And this year Bradbury kind of is one of those guys who ages out and has a terrible season. But last year, Bradbury was pretty good. And if Jalen Hurts doesn't fumble, maybe the Eagles win the Super Bowl. And then you're saying, well, Bradbury fell apart last year, but he was a big part of our Super Bowl winning team last season. So, um, Well, correct me if I'm wrong. That sort of situation. Correct me if I'm wrong. He had a pretty terrible season with the Giants, which is why they let him go. The Eagles picked him up, and he ends up having a great season. Yeah. Right. He had a bad season and the Giants didn't want to pay him and they were in salary cap hell. So they let him go. And then the Eagles picked him up and he had a great season. And this year he looked more like the guy who played with the Giants two years ago. Absolutely correct. Yeah. The, the, the person look at the personnel department, stuff like that. You know, I think you need some stability there. But the question of the head coach right now is front and center. And um, boy, you know, with the way they played Monday night up until Monday night, you know, I, I was convinced the Eagles were going to win that game. I thought the Eagles were going to bounce back, and they just came out and just looked like the last place they wanted to be 
on a Monday night was Tampa Bay, and that's somebody's fault, and that's usually the head coach's fault. All right. Uh, he's Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City, and, of course, the offseason is now here. We'll continue to look at it. Sixers with a big win last night. Joel Embiid said, why would I ever be worried about playing Jokic? I score 40 against him every single time. Uh, but a nice win for the Sixers. We'll dive into them. We got pitchers and catchers dates. That's now been uh, released. February 14th, the Eagle, the Phillies pitchers and catchers, so we'll be on that sooner than later. Mike, appreciate it as always, man. All right, we'll see you down the road. Uh, Mike McGarry will be with us along the way here on the Sports Pass Live 97.3 ESPN. You can follow him at AC Press McGarry and read him at PressOfAtlanticCity.com. John Marks, Philadelphia sports media personality, will join me at 3 o'clock to give us some strong opinions on which way the Eagles should move this thing forward. Do they take a step back? Should they keep plowing ahead? Is this a mess or quickly a quick fix? That's coming up in 13 minutes on the Sports Bash. Black Kia. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Mike Gill with you till 6 tonight. Of course, we've got... Uh, Football at four with Jeff Mosher. We'll get some answers then. No Sirianni today. No Roseman, no Lori. What does that mean? We'll talk to John Marks in about six minutes from now. No Flyers, no Sixers tonight. Sixers with a big win over Denver last night in the uh, Embiid-Jokic matchup, which, you know, everybody kind of keeps talking about this whole Embiid-Jokic thing. Embiid hasn't played in Denver against Jokic since, like, 2019 but he has played against Nikola Jokic, and he has pretty much dominated the head-to-head matchups. I thought last night was a big night for Embiid in terms of the way he finished that game out. They're they're losing the game. It's a back-to-back for Philly, mind you. And they start to – Denver goes on a run at the end of the third, and it feels like the Sixers were a little bit out of gas, maybe from the back-to-back. And then Embiid – really took that game over late in the game. I mean, he hit some key shots in the game, and just some of his reactions showed you what that game meant. And I thought, you know, Van Gundy last night, people were ripping Van Gundy for some of the stuff he was saying. I don't think he was all that off base. He said what everybody says. This team can go to the finals if Joel Embiid is as good as he is in the regular season in the playoffs, and he hasn't been that good. Now, I think he went a little over the top, on Tobias Harris, because Harris's problem, too, has been he hasn't been consistent enough in the playoffs. But Van Gundy kept kind of hitting this point, and people were like, Van Gundy, what do you have against Embiid? And I was like, he's pretty accurate. He said, if Embiid plays like this, they can go to the finals and possibly win it. But we haven't seen this guy in the playoffs. The guy we got last night, he was excellent. 40 again. I don't think he got the double-digit rebound, so that streak got snapped. But he had a very big night. When we come back, we'll talk to Philadelphia sports media personality John Marks on the future of the Birds. City. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live from the Matt Blatt Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. And for you to come into this game and, and have absolutely no plan is more of an indictment on coaching. That is why we talking about Nick Sirianni's job. Like, that is the definition of not putting your players in a position to be successful. Marcus Spears, indictment on coaching. 
lot of discussion about coaching, a lot of discussion about the players. What's up, everybody? Hour two of the Sports Bash starts now. I'm Mike Gill. John Marks is with me as we're going to take a look at where did it all go wrong and what's next. John Marks, Philadelphia sports radio personality here on the Sports Bash. As I know, these are the fun days sometimes. The losses sometimes are more interesting. But how did we get to this spot? Let's dive into it now, John Marks, as we take a look at an Eagles epic collapse. I mean, over the last two months of the football season, I don't know that you have come up with a comparable sports moment in your time talking sports in this city, but this is an all-timer, is it not, man? Not in my lifetime. I mean, really, you have to go back to 1964 in the Phillies. Um, 94, Rich Kotite, they started 7-2, and two, and I remember the, the Monday Night Football crew at the time, Dan Deardorff, Frank Gifford, Al Michaels, were roasting Jeffrey Lurie in his first year as being the Eagles owner because they didn't extend Kotite. Kotite was in the final year of his contract. And they proceeded to lose their last seven games. And, and Jeffrey Lurie was like, see, I knew he didn't know what he was doing. And they fired him. But, I mean, outside of that, there were 10, Mike, they're 10 of one. They were in the Super Bowl last year. They damn, they damn near won the Super Bowl last year. And I know that I was one of these guys that was saying, well, listen, when you start playing the good teams, if you keep turning the ball over, if you keep doing this, if you keep doing that, you're not going to beat these teams. But they kept winning. I mean, we talked about that six-game gauntlet. They won the first three games of the six games. So it's not like they hit the gauntlet and they started they lost all the games. No, they won those games. You know what? Like, I've never seen anything like this in my in my Philadelphia sports life, dude. John, I've never seen anything like this. The, I've never seen anything like it. They had the best record in the league against playoff teams this year. They went 6-2. and two. You just mentioned they went through that gauntlet. They beat Kansas City. They beat Buffalo. They beat Miami. They beat Dallas. They had quality wins it was not only the losses, it was who they lost to, but more importantly, how they lost to them. Forget losing to San Francisco and Dallas. You have games where you just don't play well, man. But you yeah. lose to Arizona and the Giants and Seattle and the way you lost. I don't know what you do, but when you talk about a collapse, you know this city, man. People want to start pointing fingers. You've had a couple days to just kind of put your feet up and think about it. Is there one finger that needs to be pointed more so than another or is this a co total collaborative effort of ineptitude yeah i, I mean in, in today's hot take society where you have to have i'm blaming him or i'm blaming him i mean i think there's a lot of blame to go around including with the quarterback right like it's not like jalen hurts was playing great this year this isn't the jalen hurts of last year and if i was looking at assessing blame he's a little bit further down the list but you know it's God, Mike, it's impossible to know what's going on internally with the team. And that's where I think things went wrong. And you can kind of feel it. And you've been able to feel it the last couple of weeks. I don't know if that means A.J. Brown and Jalen Hurts. I don't know if that means Jalen Hurts and Nick Sirianni. I don't know if it's a combination of players and coaches and players and players. But something went wrong internally. You don't go 10-1. and one. You don't go 10-1. and one. You had mentioned it. They had quality wins on their schedule against good teams and good quarterbacks and to collapse the way that they did without major injury, without anything. Although I think there's a number of things that go into it. To me, there had to be something that was going on internally that broke this team. All right, so let's take a look. You and I kind of break this down together and try to talk ourselves into something here. Um, how much, I mean, if we're putting like a pie chart together, what chart of the pie, how much of it is coach? 
Nick Sirianni? Well, you know, it, it's it's got to be probably more than anything else because here's the reality of things. When they were winning and people were asking what Nick Sirianni actually does, I was one of the people that said, hey, listen, his guys play for him. Regardless of what you want to say, I know he's an offensive head coach. And when, normally when you're an offensive head coach, you're there because of your offense. You're there because of your scheming. You're there because of your play calling. Not all offensive head coaches call plays, but the good ones do. Right, like you think Sean McVay's handing off his play calling duties to his offensive coordinator, right? So when you're not calling the plays, and when you did call the plays, and you were abysmal, he's not a, he's not Sean McDermott. He's not he's not a defensive head coach, right? So you have to ask yourself, what the hell is he doing? No answer for what was going on. So he had no answer. And when the guys stopped playing, and you had mentioned those last couple games to lose to Arizona the way that they did. To lose to the Giants the way they, they, they were behind 24 to nothing in the first half when Dallas was actually trailing in that game to Washington. And to come out and get absolutely beat up by the Bucks to me, tells you more about the head coach and tells me there's trouble with the head coach. Yeah, I, I can't, you know, to me, the head coach, it's like what part I'm trying to figure out, man, what part did he have in the success of the team last year? And why was that not translatable during this time? And the aesthetics of what happened, I don't know who made the decision to change the coordinator in the 14th week of the season, but if it's on him, to me, and as much as I went into this saying, look, I I like if I said it the, at the playoff game, if it's aesthetically as bad as those regular season losses, that's on him, man. And, and you made your bed, you got to take ownership of that. You're, you're out of here. I hate to tell you that, but I don't know what else to tell you, man. I gave you a chance to, to make a executive decision and it completely blew up in your face you're gone yeah i i see with jeffrey laurie and mike we know that he's not a knee-jerk reaction owner he's not david tepper he's not jerry jones but he will get rid of a coach if he feels like it's not going to get better doug peterson's being the prime example super bowl playoff playoff win playoff appearance and then it all fell apart that last year but i felt like at the time that Jeffrey Lurie was looking for Doug Peterson to, to fight for his job and to say, here's the plan, here's how we turn this around. When in hindsight, I don't think Doug wanted to be here. I think Doug was so burnt out by the media, by Carson Wentz, by everything else, he more or less was okay with getting fired. I think Nick Sirianni fights for his job. Well, and that's interesting. John Marks is with us here um, because I said – I think Peterson had more of a leg to stand on because I think Doug knew, I want a Super Bowl. I'll get another job, and I don't have to do this here. I don't know that Sirianni feels the same way. Like, this is all he's got, right? <laughs> he's not getting another head coaching job. If he gets fired, maybe in high school, in Buffalo or wherever he's from. Jamestown. But Jamestown. Yeah, yes. You know, I was in Jamestown, New York, a couple summers ago. He's a god up there, man. They love him. It's unbelievable. Like, pretty crazy like i didn't know that he was there when i was in the town and it's like our our guy's the head coach of the eagles i was like what you know so yeah he's pretty well liked up there um all right sirianni yeah do you ever watch suits i've seen it yes i feel that this is a suit situation where Harvey is the managing partner, but he only wanted to do it because he liked hanging out with his buddies in the competition with Mike and working with Mike, and Jessica always had his back. And now they've all left him, and he's like, I don't want to do this. I, I, I'm kind of right. stuck here. 
he's got nobody else, and the guys he has, like, they're not his guys, and we're not competing, and we're not having fun, and this just isn't the same. And, and that's why I feel like, what kind of Rolodex does he have? Who, who else does he get to make a decision on? Who else can he bring in to help him here to get back to that same feeling he had when he first started the firm? Yeah, and, and, and I think also, which might even be a bigger problem, it's, man, it's it's like two months ago we were talking about this being the best roster in the NFL. Now we look at the roster and say, all right, well, who do you have on defense going forward? You know, linebackers, eh. Defensive line, all right, you got some good defensive, young defensive linemen, I guess. Secondary, Blankenship, maybe, maybe one of these young corners. You don't have a lot of personnel on defense. And then you look at offense, is A.J. Brown going to be on the Eagles next year? I mean, is A.J. Brown a problem? Is A.J. Brown a Jalen Hurts? I mean, this isn't a report, but I can just tell you that I had heard a, a number of times over the course of the meat of the season that Jalen Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown's relationship wasn't great. Wow. And that, I had heard that from a couple different people. So if that if A.J. Brown was a problem in that locker room and he was divisive and, and there were sides being drawn there, I mean, you can't bring <laughs> back everybody. So what does that mean you have if you have Nick Sirianni? So you have Jalen Hurts, AJ Brown's AJ Brown's going to be gone. You don't have a, you don't have great personnel anymore. The whole AJ so, Brown Hurts story, John, is such an interesting one to me. Like out of nowhere, they were best friends. They never played together. They went on a recruiting trip at the same time, and they became best friends. This is like the guy you meet at summer camp, and then he comes to stay at your house for your week, and you're like, uh, I don't really like this guy <laughs> at all. Like I met him, and we hung out for like a week, and and I thought it, like the whole relationship that they supposedly had. It was like who knew that AJ Brown and Jalen Hurts were best friends when they got. You know, you uh, put on the same team here. That was a weird story to me. So I'm not surprised to hear that it could go down this road. But your point about would AJ Brown even be back here is eye opening. I don't know. I mean, you, you see the talent, right? And and, and Mike, it's true. I had a I had a. You know, I'm obviously happily married now, but I you know, 13, 14 years ago, I was dating a girl. It was a long term relationship. She lived in Northern Virginia, and it was great. And she moved to Philly. And it wasn't great so much anymore, right? Because I saw her all the time. This is breaking John Mark's news. He was uh, dating long distance, and it didn't work. I love long distance relationships. But, I like, and you see this so much, and you go back to the 2017, the Super Bowl team, and one of the big things with that team was how close they were and how when push came to shove, everybody was pushing and, and pulling in the same direction. And it was clear to me, this last half or third of the season that that was not happening. And it's, it's too important. If guys aren't enjoying coming to work, if guys aren't all on the same side and they're talking about each other and there's clicks that are formed in the locker room. And I think that's what happened with this team. So they, they, Howie Roseman knows Jeffrey Lurie knows if there's one thing, Mike, I do have confidence in it's Jeffrey Lurie making the right decision on a head coach, knowing when to pull the trigger and knowing when not to, so I trust Jeffrey Lurie is going to make the right decision here. All right, uh, John Marks, we got a lot of text messages coming in, by the way, so I'll try to fire some and interject. What part of the pie for Jalen Hurts are we putting on here? Is he getting a lot of this? Yeah, but see, here's, here's, here's what I would say with Jalen Hurts. I give him a mulligan for this year based on how I saw him play last year, in particular late in the season and then in the Super Bowl. But – there was an adjustment made this year by defenses, and this is where the coaches are also supposed to help you out. But I saw, I 
Open wide receivers. I saw Dallas Goddard open on that third down. Dallas Goddard was having words with him over on the sideline, right? So next year for Jalen Hurts, I mean, he's got to be on fraud watch, right? I don't know if it was very simple and predictable offense. I mean, Bosa came out after that 49ers game and said, we gave you the template. Yep. And Jalen Hurts, he, he was sensing – he was sensing pressure that was sometimes there or sometimes wasn't there. I mean, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't spooked by the rush. It affected him, and it affected him when he wasn't there. When you watch other quarterbacks and you see what they do, they step up in the pocket even when there's pressure coming, and they throw the football. Jalen Hurts doesn't do that. When he senses pressure, he's gone. His feet start moving. He starts backpedaling. He's not set. So someone needs to clean that up. That's coaching. But Jalen Hurts, for me, is on fraud watch for next year. Okay, a couple texts on, on the conversation. Guys, Howie is showing how inept he really is. When are you going to realize that Joe Douglas built that Super Bowl team? Are we well, on? I, I don't. Are we on Howie watch as well? He's got a he, he's got a lifetime job though, right? Are you are, are you at that term that we could question him all we want? But I'm not the biggest Howie hater in the world. I got to admit that. I actually had Howie Roseman Appreciation Day not too long ago nice. on my radio show, which uh, which at the time was not met with a lot of warm feelings. But then, but then they went on the run. Uh, that was this was actually not even this past year; it was the year before. I mean, listen, I mean, looking at it right now, Howie Roseman made a lot of mistakes, and I, I'm not this idea that they should have resigned T.J. Edwards and and yeah, like it's, it's easy to say that now because he had a really good season. The reality is that this team now needs to be rebuilt on defense. And Howie Roseman, when you look at the look at the roster and you look at the makeup of the roster right now, he's got to do better. And I don't believe that Joe Douglas built this built the team, built the Super Bowl team. The Super Bowl team was won with a lot of mercenaries. And a lot of a lot of the players that were here, the core of that team was built long before he was here. Some of those players were drafted by Chip Kelly when Chip Kelly was here. So I'm not looking at Joe Douglas and saying, oh, Joe Douglas did it. But Howie Roseman's got to do a better job. Bottom line, this team needs to be rebuilt on defense, and Howie's got a lot of work to do. Yeah, there's a lot of John, like, hindsight stuff here. Like, who saw Bradbury just falling off the cliff? Uh, That's a hard one. I mean, I, I, I mean, you could say, okay, T.J. Edwards, Kaiser White, Marcus Epps, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, those four. Could they have kept two of the four instead of letting all four go and having to replace four starters? Do you just say, and we'll take the lesser two. I'll take Epps and White, and the other two can walk because we don't value, we don't want to pay, but we got to keep one of each. They let all four, and all yeah. four of the replacements were worse. No, no doubt. Um one of the big issues that Howie Roseman has had while running the Eagles is is drafting corners and drafting wide receivers. And they hit on Devontae Smith, but that that pick was almost made for him. You know what I mean? Like they were able to trade up and get him. It was an obvious pick, and he's a, he's a very good player. They haven't been able to draft the corners. So what, what do they do? It's like a lot like they did with A.J. Brown. They traded for A.J. Brown. Said, hey, we can't draft wide receivers reliably. We're going to trade for A.J. Brown. It feels like to me they're going to try to do the same thing with corners in the offseason. If you remember at the trade deadline, the Eagles were in on that corner from, from Chicago. That's yet to be a free agent. Um, and even Sertan, they've been mentioned with Sertan. They were trying to trade for they were trying to trade up and get Sertan in that draft, but Denver didn't want to let him go. So I think they realize that they struggle drafting corners and they want to make sure they go out there and get one. A lot like they did with Slay, which was a good trade. The problem is now you have an older Slay contract they shouldn't have resigned him and they have well i guess they're going to be able to or they're going to try to cut bait with bradbury but you know they, they howie needs to be able to draft better 
players on defense, and he's been able to get away with struggling with some drafts and being and just making good trades and good signings. Yeah, that's where but, we talk a lot about like the the Bradbury thing. He signs him; it's a terrible deal. You're looking at dead money, and you're thinking, okay, what do you do here? But Roseman, you know, we've all worked with the engineer who kind of does stuff and doesn't tell anybody how he does it because you can't fire him if he's the only one that knows how to do it. <laughs> Roseman gets into these contracts, and he's the only. So does he sign the contract telling Jeffrey? Agreed, sign the contract. I'll figure out a way to get out of it. Because if you fire me, the next guy's not going to figure out how to get out of this deal, and you're going to get stuck with him. So you have to just hope that Roseman has a plan to get out of the Bradberries and the sleigh. And I don't know where you are. Are you done with the Graham and the Fletchers? Are you ready to kind of move past that? Love Brandon Graham. I think he could be a contributor on the team next year. But, like, at some point, don't you have to just move on? And say, yeah. like, like bring, bringing Fletcher and, and Brandon Graham back. And if you look at the, the playoff game, they were the two best linemen, Brandon yeah. Graham oh. and Fletcher Cox. So if you brought them back, Jason Kelsey's going to retire. I, I actually think that I think Howie Roseman has bought himself at least a couple of years based on winning the Super Bowl, going back to the Super Bowl. Howie seems to be most effective when his back is against the wall. And his back's against the wall this offseason. I mean, you can blame Nick Sirianni. You can look at the quarterback, and people are starting to point the finger at Howie Roseman. He's going to fix this, and he has shown a knack for figuring out how to fix things quickly. And this is the this is the NFL. You're not looking at a three or a five. You're looking at a window of next year going yeah. forward. I mean, where they and, were where they were in 2022, where they get blasted by the Buccaneers. You felt they were still a long way away from returning that roster over, and they went to the Super Bowl the next year and, and kind of dominated it. They won 14 games and went to the Super Bowl. So I don't look at this team and say, but that's where I think it goes back to the coach, John, is yeah. you got to make sure that the problems that they had were not internal, that the players didn't respect the coaches, and then have a talented team and go down this road again. Yeah, I, I, my best guess to what happened was that players were like, well, what, like, what are we doing? What is this offense? What is this play calling? And that created division within the locker room. We haven't mentioned Shane Steichen's name here in the last 20 minutes that we've been talking, Mike. You look at the job that he did in Indianapolis. First of all, he takes a young quarterback that had barely played quarterback, right? Like he's as raw as they came. It's completion percentage in college was like 51%, and he figured out a way when he was still healthy to be successful with him. Then Gardner Minshew comes in. The Colts won nine games with yeah. Gardner Minshew and Anthony Richardson. Shane Steichen, when you look back to last year, man, he knew what to do with Jalen Hurts. Now, there was an adjustment made. So would, Could Shane Steichen have made an adjustment to whatever the chess match that was being made? I mean, he would have done a better job than what Brian Johnson and Nick Sirianni did. That's for sure. Would John Gannon have done a better job? Um, I mean, I, I, I think you can I think you can make that case. But, I mean, you know, when you look at the level of competition that, that those defenses played last year, it's like night and day. Yeah. And when they did face a good quarterback, they got blasted. So I, 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 I want to say yes, but wouldn't it have really mattered to me – and they actually, when you look at it, they actually performed relatively well in some of those games where he ended up getting, Desai ended up getting demoted. But, um, you know, like th- this was personnel 
Bradbury fell off a cliff. He couldn't tackle anybody. Slay was injured and just kind of like out there. They brought in every old guy off the street. Their linebackers weren't even on NFL rosters when the season started, right? And then you have young guys. Josh Sweat didn't have a sack since since the you know the week nine. So it seemed like everybody everybody got old really quick. But I mean, it, it would have been marginal. I don't think it would have mattered. Um, John Marks, everybody. Uh, last, we'll we'll get out on this uh, because the Eagles have been awful for two months. Twenty twenty four. What's the best? Philly sports story right now. Joel Embiid. I think it beat in the 76ers. And you know what? I'm with everybody else, Mike, that says, hey, hurry up and get to the playoffs. Because they do. I mean, that's the only thing that they, they, they're great in the regular season. Embiid was great last night beating Jokic and, and the Nuggets. But they got to, man, they, they got to win when they get to the playoffs. But this year, <laughs> and, I, and I tried to say this last year, it just felt different last year. At least this year you have Nick Nurse. You have a different guy, better with X's and O's. And also, like, the guys just seem to be playing a little bit different. So you hope that defensively they have a little more of an edge with Nick Nurse. But I would say I would say easily it's the 76ers. Right yeah, now. I mean, we've been asking the question. We've been getting a lot of Maxi, his emergence. Uh, but I think uh, I, the problem with the Sixers is what you're saying. People have seen this act, and they're just like, I'll believe it when we get out of that second round. So it's hard to say that's what I'm most excited about right now. Oddly, it seems to be the Flyers. Maybe, but I don't know that people are still paying enough attention. And the Phillies just given us nothing so far. Yeah, nothing. yeah, I'm I'm really disappointed in the Phillies. I I was um I was really gung ho about improving the rotation. And if they wanted to bring back Aaron Nola, then bring back Aaron Nola. But I don't feel like you've gotten any better. In fact, you've gotten older as a roster. Yep. And if, if nothing else, I mean, a, a better one-two punch at the top of the rotation. Zach Wheeler is excellent. Aaron Noll is a three or a four at this point. I was looking for an upgrade in the rotation. They didn't do that, so that's disappointing to me. I think they're still a playoff team, but it's going to be one of these things where they're getting in as a wild card, then you're hoping they get hot and yep. they win based on matchups and things like that. Uh, John Marks, and uh, follow him on X at John Marks Media. And uh, he's doing a couple things on social media. You can follow him there. And he was kind enough to jump on board the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Good to see you, man. All right, buddy. Talk to you soon. Take care. John Marks, everybody, here as we uh, take it to uh, 6 o'clock tonight. Good conversation. So there you go. You got a lot of takes on what could be going on uh, with this Eagles team and what could be the problems and what's next. We'll kind of break down the pie chart. Sirianni Hurts, Roseman, the players, the talent, the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. I want to get into all of it. And when we come back, you'll hear... All right, you'll hear more about what some of the national media thinks about where this roster is and where they went wrong. I got that coming up next on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. It's Mike Gill. Keeping the fans entertained and happy. On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. At the very least, there will be changes in Philadelphia, either with the staff or with players. There's going to be a lot of movement there. It just depends on if they feel like Sirianni can fix this next year. Philly looks more about what can you do for me in the future than like a reward for what you've done to past work. And it's just a matter if they feel like the team has completely quit on Sirianni won't play for him anymore, then they have to make a move. But if they feel like he can somehow fix it, then he'll stay. And I just don't think that decision's been completely made yet. Jeremy Fowler on Greeny today. You heard it right here on 97.3 ESPN. No decision yet, but it's not going to be about past accomplishments. It's if you are the guy that can fix what's going on in the locker room. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. 
What do you guys think? Is Nick Sirianni the guy to fix the problems in the locker room? Text board 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. Text board is open. You guys have been posting away, giving us some insight. Would you fire Nick Sirianni based on the season we just watched and how ultimately how it ended? It's not how it went the first 11 weeks. It's how it went over the last two months of the season. And, you know, it's not even for me. Like, if they finished the season, you know, 11-6 and six, and they were competitive and they lost the playoff game, it would have been a disappointing loss, like 31-28. Yeah, you're better in my mind than Tampa Bay is. But at least you would have been competitive. It's the non-competitive nature of how these games were lost. That's it for me. It is unrecognizable football that got us here. That's what got us here. Unrecognizable football. And I cannot condone saying you deserve another shot when I saw something I've never seen in my life. You heard what John Mark said. In all the time we've been covering sports, we've never seen something comparable to this. And even if I did, even if I said, you know what, he brought up the 94 Eagles, and I thought he made a great reference with the Monday Night Football crew, you know, about uh, co-tight, yada, yada, yada. Even if I can think of a instance, it would be one. What the Eagles just accomplished, you should shake their hand and say, congratulations, you're the only organization that has ever done something so awful in sports. You don't get a gold star for that, though. You get a kick in the ass right out the door. And I hate to say it. I like Sirianni. I'm not some Sirianni hater. I think he's a little corny at times, his pandering and all that kind of stuff. But to me, he seemed like a guy that the players enjoyed playing for. Like, you, we all have the friend. If he's your friend, he's great. But to the other group of people in the bar, the guy's annoying. That could be Sirianni, but it's always fun to have that guy as your friend, not the annoying guy. And unfortunately, he's now becoming annoying to his friends as well. He keeps getting into trouble. He keeps starting fights. As you get older, you get to a point in your life where I don't want to keep getting into bar fights. I don't want to keep getting into arguments with people at the bar because my friend is out of hand. Is Nick Sirianni just turning off the guys that he that used to have his back? That's where it feels this is going. It feels that Sirianni, the friend said, yeah, I know. Like, you got to imagine. Think about this. Sirianni's walking out of the tunnel in Kansas City, and he's yelling up at the fans. You don't think Travis Kelsey calls his brother Jason and says, dude, what's up with Nick? That was weak sauce, man. And that other guys around the league who have played for the Eagles and are gone, played with the Eagles and are gone, played with players on the Eagles and are gone, are saying, yo, man, what's up? with Ah, you know, that's just Nick, you know. And you have that feeling. You get to a point, you know, you have friends in your life that you're okay hanging out with in a group. But you're not calling that guy to be like, hey, you and me just want to go out and get a beer together? 
Because you're like, because I know this guy is going to say something stupid, and I don't want to be the only one there that has to stand up for him. Nick Sirianni's becoming the guy that nobody wants to go out and have drinks with one-on-one. They can only hang out with him in a group, and that's not a good thing. And if that's the situation, and I feel strongly that it's gone down that road, sometimes you have to make tough decisions, and you have to ask yourself, can this relationship grow? And I don't think it can. I think you have a guy who's just not willing to take that next step right now. He still wants to hang out. And he still wants to, you know, be loud and annoying. And he still wants to be the guy that he's always been. And I think the Eagles have to try to see through that and say, Nick, I, again, I think this is a case of he got too much too fast. I don't think anybody thought that he was prepared or ready for this moment. And he proved us wrong in some instances, right? I talked about the show Suits where Mike gets the job that he's not qualified for with his credentials. He did not meet the requirements of passing the bar legally, graduating from law school, Harvard Law School at that to get the job he was interviewing for. But he basically bluffed his way through because he's a likable guy. He's a bluff guy. Nick is a bluffer. He can talk his way through. He's got a good personality. He's a panderer. And I think that was something that rubbed off on Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman of Twofold. Hey, we like this guy. He gets it. He gets what we're trying to do because Nick is good at basically telling you what you want to hear. And they're like, you know what? Let's do it. Let's give this guy the job. This could be the next guy that we put on our resume of we found this guy. You know, the Andy Reid tree. We started that tree. The Doug Peterson tree. We started that tree. And the next one will be the Nick Sirianni tree, which is now started. Shane Steichen, John Gannon, they are on the Nick Sirianni tree. He's already got a head coaching tree. And the Eagles started that. But now, I think the Eagles look at this and they say, did we get the leaves of the tree? <laughs> or did we get the the oak? It looks like we got the leaves and they're falling right now. And Indianapolis and Arizona took the base of our tree And now we have to make the decision. Do we want to pick up the leaves and try to put them back on? Or is it time? I can't believe now I'm making the plant reference a la Nick Sirianni. It's an interesting question, though, that, you know, because Sirianni, Howie Roseman, Jeffrey Lurie, they do not have a scheduled press conference today. So we have to assume that part of the conversation, as was mentioned earlier, has to be, you know, you go back to Doug Peterson in 2020. Why did they get rid of Doug in 2020? Because Doug said, I want these guys to be my coordinators. And Lori was like, dude, no. And they couldn't come to an agreement. So I have to wonder, is part of the, you know, is, and as you brought this up earlier, Mike, what is Sirianni going to say when they ask him, who are you going to bring in? Because... Yeah, and Everyone my and answer, cousin is saying that this the coordinators are not good. My answer to that has been steadfast this whole time. I don't think Nick has a resume, a Rolodex that can replace. I don't think Does he Howie. has. 
I think Howie does. Yeah, he's been, him and Lori do. They've been in the league long enough, and they have enough conversations. Look, he can call Andy Reid. Andy, who are some guys around the league you recommend? They can call people. They've been in the league for 25 what I'm years. Is, would, would Nick be open to Howie saying? Well, that's a different question. If you're saying would Nick be open to it, as John Marks and I discussed, I don't think Nick has another option. So I think he has to put his tail between his legs and saying, I'll take whoever you give me. Where am I going? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, where is he going? I mean, he should do that at least, but the whole thing is weird because, like, we were always told that Kevin Petula was Sirianni's guy, right? But then Brian Johnson got the OC game. Well, I think that's part of the problem. You had a problem right from the jump. You had a coach who endorsed someone else. You had the $250 million quarterback who wanted a different guy. The quarterback won. And then the coach wasn't happy with the quarterback's pick's performance. And now you start to have other issues coming here. Well, I didn't even want this guy. I wanted the other guy. So now do you have a triangle of... Pointing the finger? Yeah, I didn't want him. I didn't want him. He wanted him. And it's like Nick saying, well, I like my quarterback. He's, I like him. I endorse him. But my quarterback now kind of threw me under the bus by picking this guy that I didn't really want. I wanted this guy to be the guy that run the offense. And then you guys took their side, so I'm the head coach, and I'm kind of the one that my voice was heard the least here. So, And then it got to a point where Nick's saying, what's going on with this offense? It's not what I wanted. It's not the offense I want. And Brian Johnson's like, well, guess what? This isn't my offense. This is your offense. <laughs> and it's like, if you're going to make me run your offense, it's not going to be my best foot's not going to be forward. So I think if you're kind of talking yourself through this right now, this could have started all the way back there. The Eagles give him that $250 million contract. His voice gets louder. He wants Brian Johnson. Sirianni wants Kevin Petullo. And the front office says, we're going to side with Jalen on this. We want him to be more comfortable. Okay, I'll side with him, but he's got to run my office. Well, then is the is the front office, are they going to be willing to admit they got this wrong? I think what it says is that everybody, it goes back to the conversation we just had with John Marks. Everybody has a slice of the pie here. The front office, by basically allowing this to happen, you know, the offensive coordinator gets some of it, but look, it's not his offense. This is not what Brian, I, I would imagine this isn't Brian Johnson's offense. Does Brian Johnson. Nick Sirianni said that it's his offense. So does Brian Johnson get to keep the job because they don't want to change the position again? And then they say, this year you run your offense. This is almost akin to when Andy Reid was running the draft and Howie Roseman was putting together like his own little draft board on the side. And Jeffrey Lurie came out and said, you know, we used to use Andy's draft board. Well, now we're going to use Howie's draft board. This could be their moment of saying, Brian Johnson used Nick's playbook. This time we're going to use Brian's playbook and see if that works. And if not, now they're both gone. Now everybody's gone. So then if I spin it back down to the Not de- that I like that option, by the way. No, yeah. I, I don't. No, you don't. Um, but to spin it out to the defense, because remember, the defense was horrible, too, this year. So how do you resolve that situation? It's not like uh, The Sirianni- defense is a whole other thing, though. I think the defense is cut and dry. Everybody's gone. We start over. In fact, 
There's some stuff coming out right now. Jordan Davis essentially saying he thinks Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham are gone. And I think this is the first steps of you're getting out of that Vic Fangio defense. We're going a different way. And we're going to start to build this thing around Jalen Carter's strengths and Jordan Davis' strengths. They were our first-round picks. We're going to start building a defense for them. And I think the defense is an easier ripping of the Band-Aid off because of what you did this season. So you indirectly made it easier for you in the offseason by doing what you did. If if Desai doesn't get fired and the team is competitive in the games but they're still losing, then you have a tougher choice, do you not? Right. It's interesting you said that because I wrote about this yesterday at 97.3 ESPN.com about the free agents. Now, I believe Fletcher Cox is gone because of the fact that you can't rationalize not playing Davis, Carter, and Williams anymore. Uh, I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Best. Go and check out that article at 97.3 ESPN.com. John Marks today was brought to you by Gallery Bar Book and Games at Ocean Casino. Go to Ocean. Go for the win. For more, visit OceanAC.com. Gambling problem. 1-800-GAMBLER. Mike Gill in the Sports Bash coming up. We got football at four. Jeff Mosher is going to tell us what he thinks the future of this roster might look at like in 15 minutes. Don't go away and hit me up on the text board right now. 609-403-0973. Are you in or out on Nick Sirianni coming back? More Sports Bash on the way. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. All right, 351 Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Nine minutes from now, football at four. Jeff Mosher will be in the house. Want to give a shout-out to Brandon and Robert from Bass Cow Brothers Landscaping and Pressure Washing listening today. What's up, boys? Hopefully the Eagles didn't ruin your week. But guess what? Flyers playing well, Sixers playing well, and I just got news on when Phillies pitchers and catchers are reporting February 14th, Valentine's Day, and full squad workouts begin on February the 19th. That's that Friday. So we are closing in on the start of the Phillies season as well. 609-403-0973. Some more text messages coming in telling everybody out there that um, this one is from Shane and EAT. Embarrassing, lame, terrible, and a lot of other words that I can't read. Shaner in EHT. <laughs> I read the ones that I think I can get away with. I definitely can say embarrassing, lame, terrible, punk, no tackle. No talent booty clown. I could use that one. Some of the other ones I might not want to use, but uh, I get your drift, man. Frustration, definitive, all of these things. Guys, no excuses, but the Eagles defense had eight one and two year players on the field. Sometimes maybe that was part of the problem. Not saying the coaching wasn't bad, but even the vets were on the wrong side of 30. Rich, I've talked about this a lot. The Eagles had a weird dynamic of players who were young and inexperienced and then past their prime. They had very few guys who were in their prime. Josh Sweat is a guy who's in his prime, but I think Josh Sweat is a guy who 
you know, I think is more of a part-time player with a pass-rushing specialist. I don't think you want him out there against the run all the time. I think he played a lot of snaps, and it caught up to him. And I think we saw what Josh Sweat ultimately is. He is not an every-down player. I think he is more of a pass-rushing specialist. Hassan Reddick is, I don't want to say a one-trick pony, but that's really what he is. Wind him up and tell him to go after the pass, the, the quarterback. And they had him doing a bunch of different things this year. I think Jalen Carter is going to be a really good player. And I definitely think the next step and evolution of this defense is to build the defense around Jalen Carter. Similar, like if you are Howie Roseman and whoever the scouting department is, you're watching a team like the Rams. And you're saying, all right. They built that defense around what Aaron Donald does really well. Let's try to build a defense around what Jalen Carter does really well because that's your prize pick on defense. That's your guy. So now the Rams won a Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Can you name multiple guys on that defense? I mean, they had Donald. What was they? Jalen Ramsey? They had Jalen Ramsey. They had Von Miller. An older Von Miller. Older Von Miller. They traded Um, for him, though. They did. They did trade for him. He was not developed by them. But that's um, the kind of team to me. You got to go and look at Aaron Donald and say they build a defense around Aaron Donald. Let's build a defense around Jalen Carter and build it similar to that. Now they traded for Jalen Ramsey as well. Yes, they traded draft picks to get Jalen Ramsey from Jacksonville. Yeah, so. so they went out and got a top level, and that's something John Mark said. I think he's you know mentioned something that was pretty interesting. The Eagles understand where their weaknesses are. They're not great at drafting corners. So let's go identify a veteran corner or a younger veteran that we can go identify. They've done it before. Ronald Darby. They went out and traded for him. They went to the Super Bowl um, and won with uh, Darby. So, and by the way, don't forget Patrick Robinson. They got him. He was a great slot corner that year. Yep. So I think if we're putting the pieces together for an offseason blueprint, cornerback who could be on the trade market. Let's try to identify some of those guys because I think that will be top of the list of someone they might look at. And by the way, their pick in the draft, I think, is like 26 or 27. We're going to get into draft stuff. Andrew DeCecco down the road. You know, Andrew will be along for the ride for the Eagles draft this year. We'll have plenty more. Jeff Mosher has football at four, and he's next on the Sports Bash. What are we hearing? Who stays? Who goes? Some little hints are coming through the cracks. That's next. This is the Sports Bash. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Just hungry to bring back another Lombardi to Philly. Uh, it's, uh, the fans deserve it. Our team deserves it. Uh, culture begs for it. Now live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, this is Football at Four. Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. It's brought to you by Bet365. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. I saw betting odds yesterday for people to replace Nick Sirianni. The leader in the clubhouse was Vrabel. So Jeff Mosher, today the Eagles had their locker clean-out day. No availability for Howie Roseman, Jeffrey Lurie, and most importantly, no Nick Sirianni. I mean, a couple of years ago, Peterson did speak on this day, and then he was gone. I guess the Eagles learned their lesson, or is there more to read into it uh, as to why Sirianni uh, did not speak on a day where normally they do do some uh, wrapping up of the season? 
Yeah, I forget. I think I think in the past that they've had the coach and the GM do their press conference the day after clean, locker cleanup or sometime in the week. It's usually within the first four or five days. I don't know that it's always the same day. So obviously we'll be waiting to see if there's one of that. Now, usually it doesn't always mean, though, as we've seen in the past with Doug Peterson, right, that if Howie and uh, the head coach have a press conference and talk about what went wrong and what they're going to fix. It doesn't mean that the owner has decided, okay, that I agree with you because as we saw with Doug Peterson, several, several days, well, twice, right? The first time Doug said his coaches were staying, then a couple of days they got fired. Uh, and then the second time Doug and Howie had a press conference. And then a couple of days later, uh, more than a couple of days later, Doug was fired. So it's, it's hard to make anything other than this. I think if the Eagles we're just dead set. If if Jeffrey Lurie, and we all saw how he looked in that box in Monday night at Raymond James Stadium, if he was so disgusted and felt like he needed to fire Nick Sirianni, probably would have been done already. Doesn't mean he's not, but what he typically does is have meetings with his GM, with his head coach, to figure out how what went wrong, what is the way to fix it, and do I trust your way to fix it? If you go back to the Doug Peterson firing, they had a meeting. Doug said his side of the story. Jeffrey listened. Jeffrey and Jeffrey and Howie may have felt other changes were needed. And there was sort of this, let's talk again a couple of days later to see if maybe we get on the same page. And Doug did not make any type of changes to what, he, what you know, he, he stood fast. And then Jeffrey Lurie decided to fire him. And so... That took a couple of days, and we'll just have to see their conversations that are going to take place. As I understand it, I know Howie and Nick have had a um, have have met inside the Novacare already since the end of the season. Um, but I don't I believe that the meeting with the owner takes place either today or tomorrow. Obviously, they'll they'll have discussions. What do you kind, what kind of questions do you think they want answers to? Oh well, I mean, clearly, if you're Jeffrey Lurie, if you're Howie Roseman. You're, you're, you want to know what went wrong on offense and defense. I think, I suspect they're smart enough to understand what went wrong on defense more so, but they have to figure out not only what why did, what in Nick Sirianni's mind was the issue with the offense, but how does he plan to fix it? How does he plan to fix the offense? How does he plan to fix the defense? Who are people that he's thinking can come in here and bring a fresh perspective to both sides of the football what is his role going to be in that? And how does he plan to set the lock, reset the locker room culture after a collapse? Those I, are, that is what Jeffrey Lurie has to hear. I, I want to bring up a scenario to you, and I want you to kind of grade it on how far-fetched or realistic it could be, okay? Mm-hmm. So we have a situation here. Did, did Sirianni have um, Petula? Was he the guy he wanted to be the coordinator? Can't tell you that. I mean, if I, uh, you know, obviously a, a lot of those decisions are collaborative. And Kevin Petullo got a promotion in the offseason from pass game coordinator to pass game coordinator slash assistant head coach or associate head coach, something like that. Okay. So clearly, clearly that is Nick Sirianni's right hand man. So I- I'm trying to put some pieces together of what could have happened in this situation. And could Sirianni have endorsed Petula? Hertz signs a $250 million deal. He picks Brian Johnson. 
the organization sides with Hertz, and now you have this triangle of finger pointing. Well, Brian Johnson's not doing a good job, and then you have like, I wanted my guy. You didn't give me my guy. So is he now fighting for his guy, or do they say Brian Johnson's going to be the guy, and he's not going to run your offense. He's going to run his offense. Mike, the Eagles are are an organization that that certainly listens to players. They've had leadership councils. Obviously, a lot of the changes that we saw on defense from play caller to structure were made with some, I don't want to say where the team went and looked for the input, but they were getting feedback from the players. However, in the scenario you're, you're asking me, to say that Jalen Hurts picked Brian Johnson or that it was his decision or that he factored into the decision that's not something I ever heard that's not something I don't I, I know to be true uh, Brian Johnson was the quarterbacks coach and the Eagles promoted him to offensive coordinator which would have been a natural spot sure Kevin Pasula would have also been uh, a, pl- a person who could fill that role but I don't know that that really matters in the big scale of the offense because Kevin Petulo is the pass game coordinator and the Eagles threw the ball a lot this year. Um, and sometimes they didn't throw the ball well. So his fingerprints have to be there just as much as Brian Johnson or Nick Sirianni or anybody's on that offense. Oh, and, I, I, and my point, I guess, is more, um, I don't want to say dissension, but finger pointing. Well, this wasn't the guy I wanted, and now I don't like the job he's doing, and we're struggling, and you gave me this guy. I had a guy that I wanted to be the play caller, and you didn't like my guy. And, like, you know, is that an underlying of, like, Hurts siding with the play caller instead of the head coach and the head coach saying, well, I got two guys that are against me and I've lost some respect in the room because you didn't let me pick my guy. I feel like this is similar to the whole Peterson situation where they gave him a guy. It wasn't the guy he wanted or the guy he wanted they didn't want, and and he just said, I'm out of here. And I think Peterson had more leg to stand on than Sirianni does because he won a Super Bowl. Now, I don't know. What mm-hmm. you think Sirianni's um, resume will do for him in getting another job if he stands up for himself? Or does he just have to say, you know what, I got nothing else. I'm taking it, and I'll just do what they tell me. Well, I mean, I think Nick Sirianni himself has to acknowledge that thing, the offense didn't look right. And, you know, even if he feels that it wasn't the play call or it wasn't the assistant head coach, it was more on the quarterback. It doesn't really matter because it didn't work. And so he's got to bring in something that works and he's going to have to swallow some humble pie if he feels that way and say, I'm, I'm probably going to have to get myself uh, a coordinator who can bring a fresh perspective to this offense while I remain CEO head coach. Remember Nick Sirianni has admitted that he didn't do a great job as a play caller. The first six games of his career as Eagles head coach, he was not a play caller. Uh, for the Indianapolis coach uh, Colts under Frank Reich, either so play for play calling is not necessarily Nick Sirianni's specialty, so it shouldn't be difficult for him to say I might need fresh perspectives, fresh play callers, and a different person helping me create the menu from which to choose the plays from. Yeah, and look, you know, it's I feel like we're all just go go gadget arms trying to reach for something because of the unprecedented nature of what we just watched, Mosh and. If you just said the Eagles went 11-6 and six and got knocked out in the first round of the playoffs but played competitive football, it was just, hey, you know, poor clock management or they had an injury, uh, a guy stepped out of bounds a la Dak Prescott in, in the Dallas game, and that's yeah. why they – okay, those things can maybe be fine-tuned. The aesthetics of the way they lost is totally in play here, is it not? 
Oh, uh, completely. And not just that game, but yeah, the aesthetics of losing to the two of the worst teams in football. I mean, uh, which is what they did when they lost also to the Cardinals and the Giants. So, yeah, I, I don't I think if they just struggled down the stretch, mostly defensively and then lost a game to the Bucks because you didn't have A.J. Brown and you lost, you know, you couldn't score too much and and your defense couldn't hold it, so you lose like 25-14. I, I don't know. Yeah. The, something like that. I think Jeffrey Lurie looks at the situation and says, yeah, clearly the defense has to be overhauled, has to be fixed, um, but we don't have necessarily a culture problem or an issue with the head coach figuring it out. The way they lost for six and seven weeks and you never saw any changes, never saw any sign of life, had to have sounded an alarm within Lurie about how capable his catch, head coach is about having an answer when times are tough. You could make an argument that if they played the same schedule again. <laughs> they go, what, 3-14? and 14? They, Right. <laughs> I mean, the, the stretch of games with Kansas City and Buffalo and Miami and Dallas and that whole, you know, they would have lost yeah. every one of them and gave up 50 in every one. I mean, they should have given up 50 the other night to Tampa Bay if they could simply catch the football, you would have given up 50. So you got to look at this team and say, if we played the same schedule and started this season over, we wouldn't be 11 and five, 11 and six in the playoffs. We'd be three and 14, and then we would be firing our coach. Right. Um, yeah, you could make that argument. Um, but but that's so I had this conversation with somebody today who who you know wants to see Nick Sirianni fired. This is a fan um, who, who I know, and I said. He said, won't, won't Jeffrey Lurie look at that, what you just said, Mike, the fact that they were basically a non-competitive team that might might lose every single game it played if he redid it as, as a reason to fire a coach. And I said that owners typically, personnel people typically don't weigh the losses more than they weigh the wins. You know what I'm saying? Like they don't look at one and six and say, that's who you are. They look at the entirety. Remember, they hired this guy, and they told the public they believed in him, and they looked great for about 75 to 80% of the last three years in this, right? I mean, they, if we're going to talk about their collapses and how awful they looked, you have to acknowledge, at least if you're an owner and you're trying to be fair about this, right, that there are some amazing wins. They won 25 of 32 games at one point, which is an amazing historic clip. I remember talking to you uh, earlier in the year and saying, you know, fans really need to cherish this because there is going to be a reality check at some point. I didn't think it was going to be this bad in one and six, but they were winning at such a historic clip. Now, you as an owner, an owner and a, a GM, they're going to look at that and say that matters too. He had answers at that point. He didn't have answers in the last seven weeks. Let's hear what he has to say about why he didn't have those answers and what his answers are about going forward. Didn't he once if, say in a press conference this year, if I had those answers, something to that extent? The man doesn't win the press conferences. We know that. <laughs> I mean, we seriously, he said in a press conference, I recall a couple of weeks ago, yeah, if we had the answers to some of the problems we we're having, like, you know, I mean, I, I think you can, I actually have the audio here. I'll play it for you. Here you go. I don't give a 
what we are out there and what our record is or anything, what losing streak or winning streak it goes, we're going to go out there and we're going to work our minds on the detail of what's going on full speed to the snap out there in walkthrough. And then high intensity at practice. There's no magic to this. Like, hey, we do this or this or that. Like, if we if we knew exactly what it was, we you know, these last couple of weeks, we, we would have done that. So it's about going to work every single day. That's a pretty bad answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, what his message there, and you hear this, you, it was bad, but you also, how many times do we hear this from a coach where when times are tough, you just double down on what you know to be true as a coach coming through. And that's what a lot of coaches will tell you. It's, you know, they, they practice to do better than what they're doing, right? So uh, so when they don't do it on at, on game day, it's frustrating and befuddling. And there wasn't a magic button. It's not like they did one thing wrong. Like they couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't execute a screen. They couldn't defend a screen. They couldn't defend a bunch route. They couldn't get, you know, enough pressure on the passer. They could not uh, stop a blitz. So, I mean, Nick Sirianni had so many different things to fix. It's hard to fix it all in a couple of weeks when you real, when it starts to spiral out of control. Yeah. Like and that. I guess, you know, the question I asked you at the beginning is what are they asking him is, okay, what went wrong? And then what are you doing to try to fix this? Because it seems that your offense has been figured out and the defensive scheme that we're, that you believe in is no longer a scheme that is working in this league. Right. The number that, that to me will be the number one question and answer in that, in that it's, it's less about what went wrong. We all saw it. It's more about how are you going to fix it? And if I'm Jeffrey Lurie and if I'm Julian Lurie and if I'm Howie Roseman, do I believe the answers that I hear? Do I, do I believe that what Nick Sirianni tells me can actually happen? Um, do they figure out a way to bring uh, to get rid of the Bradbury Slay? Are they both back, or one of them, or are they both gone? Yeah, I think Slay can be back. Um, they obviously have to get younger at that position. They have to get more talented. They have to get more dynamic. Can't rely on rookie free agents and first year and second year guys and undrafted guys. Uh, but yeah, I don't. I I think they're going to have to figure out a way to just eat. The cap hit with James Bradbury probably post June one it, which splits up the the cap hit. Um, you know, if Jason Kelsey does retire, they save some money there. Move Jurgens to center; he's still on a rookie deal, right? But the bottom line is <laughs> that Jalen Hurts now now is when the cap money really starts to inflate too. So they're going to have to be. It's going to be interesting to see how they draft. It's going to be interesting, Mike, to see what they do at backup quarterback now that that you know seven million can be a little expensive seven to nine million for a backup quarterback when they were in this position last time is when they drafted Jalen Hurts so uh be very interested to see what they decide to do a backup quarterback knowing their money is going to be a little tight uh, they got extensions to give out too you think AJ Brown is gone or is he definitively back you know I think it's hard to answer personal questions until we absolutely know the, the the state of the coaching staff, state of the front office, but I don't I don't see why you wouldn't have AJ Brown back if you're trying to win games. I think the organization would want him back, but right, I mean, does he want to be here? Was there any feeling that you know the way it kind of ended there that that's uh, a fact? He doesn't really have you know as long unless he hold, wants to hold out and force something. He doesn't have much of a of a of a, of a trait of a of a leverage here or an option. Yeah, well, I mean. 
sometimes your mouth can be leveraged and just talk your way on out of here, right? <laughs> um, sometimes. Yeah, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham. I know Brandon wants to play one more year. Fletcher's a, f- a free agent. They both are. Uh, one, both, neither. Uh, it's very possible both come back. And, you know, I don't think it, I, I know we talk about the age of the Eagles defense and, and the concern there. But in this case, I'm not that's not a concern to me. And I don't even think that those are like if you wrote a list of the top 50 things the Eagles have to be concerned with right in this offseason, th- that's probably hovering around the low. Uh, Graham is under contract. It's not that expensive. He's a good situational pass rusher. If you want to have him aboard, fine. If you don't, if he wants to call it quits or if you want to move on, I don't think it changes the 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 dyna- dynamic that much. Same thing with Fletcher Cox. I think he plays at a high enough level that you can have him back. Um, now, maybe you want him at a different price tag than than you had last uh, last time. Or maybe you just continue to pay him what you're paying him. But he's given you – he gives you good reps. I don't blame the whole pass rush collapse on the front line. I really do believe that when quarterbacks know exactly what they want to do with the ball and get rid of it immediately, it's very hard to generate pass rush. He still plays hard, and he's still a good leader. All right, speaking of Fletcher Cox, he said, quote, what is there to talk about? The man's a winner. We don't look at firing a man who's won 10 games two years in a row and made the playoffs three years in a row. Have some respect. Some pretty strong – support for Nick Sirianni there. Is that an indication that Fletcher Cox knows he's leaving? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I think that the players are all in the same boat we are. You know, they know that management and ownership is not easy to pin down uh, and that minds can change. You know, again, you go back to Doug. Seemed like Doug was fine because they all had the press conference, they had the meeting, and then four days later – you know, if you listen to ITB, you knew Doug wasn't fine. But, but you know, for the public, most of them thought, all right, that's it, fine. And then, bam, a firing. Uh, Jeff Mosher, Inside the Birds podcast. And, of course, you can get that on all podcasting platforms, the Inside the Birds YouTube channel. Just search Inside the Birds. And, of course, football at four. The offseason is here. We've got a lot of offseason. I mean, they have a ton of free agent questions, specifically on the defensive side of the ball, right? I mean, you got a lot on defense. You're probably going to need at least – I guess Dean is back. Do you pencil him back in as a starter, or do you need at least two new linebackers, even if Dean is here? Two probably safeties, I would imagine. Again, I mean, Sidney Brown is probably not part of the equation. You might need two corners, at least one, maybe two with Maddox. You got a lot of stuff on defense. And then if Kelsey retires, which I feel, still think he's going to retire. I know today he did walk it back, but... I think he just wants to do it on his own terms. Um, you would put Jurgens at center and then either Steen or now you need a right guard. And um, you have a decision to make with the running back. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, to, to your point on linebacker, you need depth. And when I say depth, I don't mean you need bodies. I mean, you need, you need some guys who can play at the NFL level. You're right. You don't know what you're going to get from N'Kobe Dean. He did not hold up well. All the things that we said on Inside the Birds when people were telling us we're crazy, he's going to be a rock star, he's going to be amazing, we're, we're doubting him. And we're just telling you what, what the NFL, why he was a third-round pick. The NFL was scared of him holding up in an NFL defense when he doesn't have the greatest set of you know defensive linemen around him. Like he did. I mean, he has a good one in the Eagles, but uh, and he's playing all these snaps, and he's doing things he wasn't asked to do at Georgia. 
we told people that this is could be a little roll of dice here. Yeah. And he did not stay healthy. Um, I like Dean. A, I, I, I got to admit, I like Dean. I thought he was finally going to be a playmaking linebacker for them, someone who could do a you know multiple thing, cover, you know, go side to side, cause turnovers, just be a, an active linebacker. And all the stuff we heard in training camp started to. He's not big enough. He, he's he's he, you know he's not going to get through the season. And that happened right off the bat. He came back for what a week, and then he was gone again. So yeah, I can't count on him. He's 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 Avante Maddox playing linebacker. Yeah, and, and you know I have the same fear for Nolan Smith. Not that he's not going to be good. It's not that I think he's going to be. Banged oh, he's up and tiny, man. When he's, yeah, he, 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 but but that's the reason, right? Well, he was not going to be the pick if Jalen. People think are, are are convinced that they were going to pick Nolan Smith if Jalen Carter wasn't there. And no matter what we said on ITB. We say, no, that's not the case. He's certainly had great athletic traits, and the Eagles love that, but he went low first round for a reason, and getting bigger and getting stronger was one of those reasons, and you saw it. He was getting blocked by wide receivers at times, tight ends. He has to get bigger and stronger and be able to play more reps in the well, league. When and you maybe see, he will and be really good. When you see him on an NFL field with big men, you know, on the college field, he blends in. On that NFL field, you see three on the field, and you're saying, my man's small. <laughs> he yeah. is tiny. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, he is a, he's, he's a, his practice habits are great. His intellect is great. He's got all the tools. Yeah. He didn't get hurt. He just has to get bigger and stronger. That, yeah. That's all. And they got to, you know, and I'm sure maybe usage, not just lining him up one way and letting him block and moving around and, and get him out of – Unless you want to make a full-time transition there because you don't think he be, can be an edge rusher, the whole idea of making him an off-ball linebacker uh, in the middle of the season was just crap. I'm sorry. That was just one well, of it's like what they did with bogglingly dumb decisions. Like that, what they did made. with Davion Taylor. I mean, you draft a guy because he's a speed freak athlete, and then you tried to make him a middle linebacker because you Yeah, didn't. but at least he was a linebacker in college. It wasn't like he was an edge rusher in college. Right, but yes, still. you drafted a guy with no with almost no experience, one year of off-ball linebacker, where he's basically a linebacker slash slot, res- slot defender and then thought he was going to – be this you know tenacious three down linebacker for you that was bad decision too uh jeff mosher and the inside the birds podcast guys all off season for football at four sadly the off season here but a very interesting one underway and uh we'll see it all unfold what will howie roseman do money to spend not a lot how's he get out of some of these deals what decisions are there to make find out football at four here on the sports bash thanks jeff all right, Jeff Mosher, football at four, and he's brought to you by Bet365, whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. And, of course, the Sports Bet, live, 97.3 ESPN. We do football at four every day, all off-season long. You can listen to football at four here on the Sports Bash. We got your off-season covered. Tomorrow, Andrew DiCecco. I want to get into Andrew. He was in the locker room today. I want to get his thoughts on, you know, the drafting they have done has not been good in certain positions. But they did draft and sign some corners, undrafted rookie guys who played a lot. Does Andrew think those guys are the answer? Ricks, Ringo, can they play? We'll get some defensive thoughts on that tomorrow for football at four. We got sound of the day coming up. 
here on the Sports Bash. This hour brought to you by Broadleys Plumbing, Heating, Air Conditioning. Broadleys, your trusted source for heating and plumbing service installation for generations. Call them at 609-390-3907 and online at broadleys.net. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. Uh, 4.33, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. I'm Mike Gill. Get this text here, Josh, from William. Willie texted in. Did you hang out with a guy named Willie this weekend? Not that I remember. Said, hey, Josh, not text about sports at all today. We just need a break from it all. Just wanted to let you know it was a pleasure meeting you Saturday over at Slack Tide and chatting with you. Hope you enjoyed your food, but next time... You're on me, Willie. Oh, Willie's the guy from the food truck. From Taste the Love. Yes, the food truck over Slacktown Saturday. Right. You've uh, impacted this man's life I so much his so face, yeah. that he remembered you and he texted it. Oh, it's very nice of him. Very nice. It's a very nice text. Good food sandwich, too. I had a very good chicken sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> good food. Really good food. I like. I just saw, by the way, uh, shout out to the breweries in the area. Yep, they finally came down this afternoon. They're not going to be able to like serve food per se, but no. the restrictions are going to be less, and they could do more events and more things. Yeah, which, uh, I know a lot of the bars out there. I'm friends with a lot of bar owners and stuff, but I got to be honest, I'm on the brewery side here. The breweries uh, should be able to serve food. Like, if you have a product, I get it. You know, you do something different. They're doing their unique thing. You guys are and, doing yours. I hate to fight for one or the other, but I think the breweries are great for our communities. And listen, it's not that the breweries are going out there and getting food licenses to serve food left and right. The idea is, oh, and I've been writing about this for months on our website, that the fact is is that you're basically telling these businesses, don't run your business the best way for you to make money. And it's having events. It's having watch parties. It's saying, hey, we got Matt's family food truck over at Slack Tie Brewing, for example. Right? Yeah, I'm just like, I listen, I think uh, breweries are a good source of tourism, too. There are a lot of people like me. When I go to another town, I go to check out the breweries. And when I go to other states, the breweries, they're not better beer-wise. They're just better experiences because there's more things. But... What it also lends to is going to visit your bar because, hey, I've hung out at this guy's brewery for a couple hours. Now I want to go to the next door, you know, someplace else because I want more of a variety right. of things. I think it's a hand-in-hand thing. But, hey, I was happy to see that news yesterday. But I wanted to make sure you, there's a lot of text today. So this one could have got lost in the sauce. But I, I saw it. And I wanted to uh, make sure that you knew that Willie was looking for you. Well, thank you. Thank you, Willie. Thank you for listening to the station. And thank you for that great chicken sandwich. You went chicken sandwich. Yeah, it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. See, I was out. I did the breweries in Hamilton last weekend. Okay. But no food. Mm. So we started at Three Threes. Very nice guys. I met uh, a couple guys over there um, and had a good time there. It was really crowded, by the way. So I'm not uh, I'm not mad about that. It was good crowd, my point. Good crowd there. So met some good people. Went over to Chimney Rustic. And then we got a little hungry, so we walked through and went to Rocco's Townhouse, a little gem out there in Hamilton, yep. and um, hit the whiskey bar down there, and then stopped over to Vinyl. 
but no food. So had to go to Rocco's. Now, Rocco would say, see, that's the point. If you had food somewhere else, you might have gone somewhere else. Not necessarily. I like Rocco's. There you go. You're out in Hamilton. Got to go out there. Exactly. Yeah, it's right behind uh, Chimney out there. Pretty convenient line up there. I mean, you could, you basically could almost, I mean, if it was a nicer day outside, you probably could have just walked everywhere. Yeah, maybe summertime. Not the day we had. No, it was, it's, it's been cold lately, so. Mm-hmm. Hey, Mike, it's time for Sound of the Day, and I want to start with a guy who is a finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Eric Allen, joined Freddie Coleman on ESPN Radio, and he was talking about the Eagles situation. He said this about the Eagles' owner, Jeffrey Lurie, and their head coach, Nick Sirianni's situation, we'll call it. I think Jeff Lurie, the owner, has done a great job at keeping this team competitive, and maybe Nick could be the kind of guy to turn around that locker room but remember, there's going to be a ton of new faces, right. a new rebuild, and it may be best for this Philadelphia Eagles football team and fan base to go in a different direction. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think Eric Allen knows the fan base in Philadelphia. He played here. He was in the Buddy Ryan era. He knows what it is like when things aren't going well. And he knows that if you bring Nick Sirianni back, you're entering the season with people disenchanted with your... It's almost like the Sixers were in the situation. Couldn't bring Doc Rivers back. Right. People were done. Couldn't bring Brett Brown back. They were done. The Sixers as an organization behind the scenes, and I don't know this, may not be blaming Brett Brown or Doc Rivers, but they're saying, sorry, we just can't, we can't bring you back. Because we've now hit apathy. And I think that might be the problem if you bring Nick Sirianni back. Do the Eagles care enough about what... See, the problem with the the Sixers is if you bring Doc Rivers back, I think the Sixers will feel it at the box office. I don't think the Eagles are going to feel it at the box office. No, they won't. But, you know, there is something to be said for the fact that, you know, we do know that the Eagles are an organization that does keep it tuned to what the fans have to say. So there has to be. Oh, they care, no doubt. There's a part of this that they do have to consider. Look, we got to give the fans some peace offering. You know, maybe we don't give them Nick Sirianni's, you know, burial, but maybe we got to give them something. Yeah, I mean. It's a it's a weird situation to be in for them. I can't even imagine being in that spot though. Like, if I'm the owner of the team, I would give I couldn't I couldn't care less what the fans were telling me to do. I mean, that's how you should act. But the reality is that, you know, when a season like this happens, someone's gotta give an answer for it at least. And so far, I mean, you and Jeff just talked about it during football at four. Nobody's given a good answer for anything. I don't think there's an answer to give, though. I'm not faulting them for not giving a good answer because I the legitimately... Fans guess what? Here's my answer to the fans. We don't have an answer because there's no answer. There is no answer. Then the fans probably say it's unacceptable. Sure. You cannot like the answer. That's... But you're saying, I want an answer. I'm giving you an answer. There is no answer. And you would say, well, I don't like that answer. I still gave you an answer. You just don't like it. 
I just think for a lot of people, they want to tangibly wrap their head around something, and that's why. Yeah, but what if you're tangibly wrapping your head around something that's inaccurate? Then give us something accurate. I am. There is no answer. That's what the accurate answer is. There is no definitive answer as to why this happened because there's nothing we can. There is no everything we do in sports is comp. Comparable, comparable. Who do you compare it to? Who does this guy remind you of? What does that guy remind you of? This team did it, and this year, this team won that. Everything is a comparison. You have a situation with no comparison. So, therefore, my answer can be something completely different. I have no answer. And I think a lot of fans would just be very unhappy with that. I agree. And I understand the unhappiness that doesn't change the answer. It's like saying, Josh, I'm sorry to tell you your dog died. Well, I don't like that answer. I cannot resuscitate the dog. The answer I gave you is the dog is no longer with us. I can't change that. But see, the rebuttal that people, well, why did my dog die? And if you just kept telling me, I don't know, I don't know. Natural causes. What happened with the Eagles? I don't know. Natural, natural causes. <laughs> natural. Yeah. Natural regression. <laughs> turning. Natural regression turning into drastic regression. Mm-hmm. Like one day the dog was barking playfully and the next day he was down and he didn't seem to have the same pep in the step. And then, unfortunately, the dog was no longer with us. I want an autopsy on the Eagles. Like, I want an autopsy on that dog. But <laughs> Well, I mean, I hate to, like, be so morbid with the situation, but, like, you don't like the answer that my dog died. You don't like what happened to the Eagles. How did the dog die? I'm not sure, but six weeks ago, he seemed fine. And I need an autopsy. Listen, I, I, sadly, I, if you're a lot about this, you know, in, in life, you know, hey, six weeks ago, she seemed okay. And... <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, the Eagles, six weeks ago, seemed okay. What happened? I don't know. You might, okay, I can give you a bunch of horse bleep answers. The quarterback didn't play the same. Right. Is that accurate? Why? Why didn't he play the same? I don't know. Was the offensive line better? It's like what T.J. Watt said today on the McAfee show. He's been saying a lot about the PFF grades. Mm -hmm. He hates them. Right, And his reasoning why he hates them, because he says, do they know the assignment? You can't grade me on a play where you don't know what my assignment was. You're saying I made a mistake. You don't know that I made a mistake. Right. You're grading me on a play that you don't even know what the play design was supposed to be. So I could say, why did the Eagles take steps backwards? And you might say, well, Hurts regressed. But why? Did the offensive line regress? Was the play caller bad? Was the play design bad? Was the wide receiver running the right routes? Like, there's a lot of build into why Hertz could have regressed. That's true. So I don't know why. Like, I can't sit here and say, like, the year that I remember this vividly. We were doing the show, and at the time it was me and Mosher and, and Rothstein. And we were uh it might have been me and Broads. But we were arguing about who's more at fault, Wentz. Oh, Wentz or Peterson. Or Peterson. Yes, that was you and Broads. And Broads was, you know, at couldn't, like, the play calling he thought was so, like, the offense was so vanilla and the play calling. And I say, I would agree with you, but here's the problem I'm having. Wentz is so inaccurate. Right. There are passes to be made, and he's not making them. When Hurts threw the ball, it wasn't that he was inaccurate. 
He wasn't terrible. He wasn't throwing the ball high and wide and short and low and far and to the left and behind guys. He was generally an accurate thrower of the football. When he had the opportunity to stand there and sling it, he looked like the guy, the throw he made to Smith the other night that brought him down to the two-yard line. Great throw. Great throw. Perfect throw. The throw he made to Zacchaeus in the Washington game. It's the only spot on the field you could throw the ball. And he zips it in there. Hertz didn't seem to be inaccurate or make, like, bad throws. So what role did he have in the regression? And that's why people go back to coaching. Because people, in their mind, the only other answer would be, well, then something is wrong with the coaching. They're giving him bad information. They're putting him in position to be successful. Right. Or but like my or Spears saying earlier when he said about Sirianni. My retort to that would be they didn't look like that for the first 11 weeks of the year. Right. If you told me the team looked like that for 10 weeks and continue to look like that, then yes. But it wasn't that they looked like a dumpster fire for 12 weeks. Right. They all of a sudden looked like a dumpster fire. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, I can certainly relate to they made a coordinator change. Right. But guess what? And I'm not saying it's ideal, but we've seen coordinator changes in football throughout eternity, and the team didn't go from looking, okay, they were not a great defense, but they had games where they played really well and were competitive. They were not competitive against bad football teams. They went from average to poor. That's what happened to the defense. Poor is a grade that is too kind for what this defense became. Fail? They failed at life? Just (laughs) hideous. It's it's like the line from the show Arrow when he says, you have failed this city. Well, the Eagles' defense failed the city of Philadelphia. I can't even comprehend how it got to the point that it got to. And and, and it's, it's crazy to me. Uh, Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN. The 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Are we more disappointed in Hertz or Sirianni? Uh, Can we Sirianni to me is... I'm more disappointed in Sirianni. And I, I, I can come up with reasons why, but I'm more disappointed in Sirianni. Uh, Mike, with the dog dying comparison, has me dying. LOL. <laughs> <laughs> I... I I didn't know what else to come up with. I know it was a little morbid. Uh, Coming up, Sports Pass 97.3 ESPN. Eagles locker room open. We're starting to get some quotes coming out of the locker room. Uh, We're going to maybe catch up with McMullen. Uh, Depends on if they're out of that locker room or not, what time that all gets done. So we'll shoot him a text and see if he can jump on. More Sports Bash on the way, 97.3 ESPN. It's Mike Gill. Do I have everybody's attention now? On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. All right, 453 Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. This hour brought to you by Broadley's Plumbing, Heating, Air Conditioning. Broadley's your trusted source for heating and plumbing service and installation for generations. Call them at 609-390-3907 or online at broadleys.net. Mike Gill in the Sports Bash. Holy moly. Uh, this has been an interesting day. The text messages uh, on the other side. I got a ton of text messages still to react to. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. You know, um, I, I think if you take a look at what, 
the Eagles can do from here, it looks like a daunting task. Right? It looks like a daunting task in terms of the rebuild. Is this a total rebuild, tear down? And I I would just caution, as bad as it feels and as bad as it looked and as bad as the last two months went, you didn't think after the 2022 season that that team was going to the Super Bowl. 2021 season, that they were going to the Super Bowl. They were 9-7. and You didn't think Jalen Hurts was the guy. You thought they were far away. They turned it around pretty quickly got to a super can they do that now or is it such a daunting task ahead of them to fix this problem is this a mess or a quick fix we'll dive into that coming out coming up on the sports bash live 97.3 espn the 97.3 espn free mobile app we're taking you till six tonight no flyers no sixers flyers sixers Back in action tomorrow for the Fly Guys. Sixers against the Magic on Friday night. We'll have uh, plenty more. The weekend NFL divisional round. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live from the Matt Blatt Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. And the Eagles felt compelled to just play this Madden-style drop-back passing yeah. offense that defensive coordinators have now said, I hope that you do this. They're playing as much cover four and cover six as they've ever played, keeping everything in front of them, and they're hoping that all you want to do is play seven on seven. Uh, that was Marshall Newhouse, former NFLer on the Mina Kimes podcast, this whole Madden-style. Uh, this, You know, it cracks me up. We've got these seven-on-seven flag football league things that high school players go to, and it's like, I just watched the Eagles basically play flag football. I now know the result of flag football camps. You turn into the Eagles' defense. That is I You watch the Eagles play over the last couple of weeks, and you were like, dude, they're playing flag football out there. This is awful. Not enjoyable at all. Um, so much to dive into, you know, how did we get here? I don't have the answer to the question because I don't think there is an answer to the question unless you really peel the onion. But I think one of the things we're going to start forwarding into the next couple of days here is are the Eagles a total mess or is this a quick fix? You know, in 2021, if you look at the 2021 Philadelphia Eagles, and you go back to that team, they made it to the playoffs, and nobody thought that was a playoff team. The 2020 team was not good. And the 2021 team, Nick Sirianni, first-year head coach, he takes over a team from Doug Peterson, and it's Jalen Hurts' first-year starter. And you're like, all right, let's look at this roster here. You got Jalen Hurts, Miles Sanders, Jalen Rager, uh, Devontae Smith, Quez Watkins, Dallas Goddard, Jordan Mailata, Landon Dickerson, Jason Kelsey, Lane Johnson. I mean, your offensive line is essentially the same. Dallas Goddard's here. Smith is here. Hurts is here. So they basically just said, look, we got to get Jalen Hurts a weapon. We got Smith. 
but we think we can we need to get another guy. So they go and make the trade for AJ Brown. So you look at the offense that they had two years ago when they went to the playoffs with nine wins. That offense is almost identical. I mean, literally, Hurts, you have Swift instead of Sanders. You had, now, A.J. Brown did not play in the playoff game, but you had Brown instead of Rager. Smith, Watkins, they're both still here. Goddard's still here. Mylotta Dickerson, Kelsey, and you had Jack Driscoll at right guard instead of Lane Johnson. So, really, you have the same offense that you had two years ago, except for A.J. Brown. You put Brown in. So, on the offense, right now, if I said... Everybody listening, text me something on the offense that definitively needs an upgrade. 609-403-0973. I don't know that you have an answer. Like, what needs to now? Kelsey will be out. You'll have Jurgens there. And now your right guard spot is going to be changed again. And you could probably say that will be Tyler Steen unless they go out and draft a guy to play that spot. But regardless, the right guard spot is going to be new. The center spot is going to be new. But everybody else is going to be the same as the team that you had two years ago almost, except for now you have A.J. Brown instead of Jalen Rager. So one guy really changed the dynamics of the offense to go from a nine-win team to a Super Bowl-caliber team. Let's look at the defense from two years ago. All right, on that team you had Josh Sweat, Javon Hargrave, Fletcher Cox, Derek Barnett. Basically the same group of guys except for Hargrave is out, Carter is in. You have more of Jordan Davis, Derek Barnett is out, and uh, Hassan Reddick is in. Right. So from the team that played in the playoffs against the Buccaneers – to the next year when they went to the Super Bowl, they added... They added Reddick. Reddick. The rest of the team was pretty much the same. Right. Now, your linebackers, you had Jannard Avery, TJ Edwards, and Alex Singleton. Well, you brought Edwards back, and you replaced Alex Singleton with Kaiser White. So you essentially said, all right, Singleton is out. White is in. Right. You said that there's one guy that works. So we'll keep him and we'll move on from the other guys. Mm-hmm. Um, the secondary. Steven Nelson, you replaced him with Bradbury. Correct. Slay was the other guy. Yep. And then your two safeties. You had Rodney McLeod and Anthony Harris. You replaced them with uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson and you promoted Marcus Epps. Correct. So... To go from a 9-8 and eight wild card exit to the Super Bowl, there wasn't a whole heck of a lot of impact. The big impactful move was really A.J. Brown. So I guess I could ask the question is, does this team need one impactful change? Now, I guess you could add in – I take that back. You do need to add in – Um. Reddick on defense because that defense one of their problems was they just didn't have a playmaker anywhere on defense they were just kind of a blah defense they weren't terrible but they were just kind of eh. when you got Reddick he gave you that disruptor that they kind of needed 
And that really gave them that toy that Gannon didn't have to blitz. He didn't want to blitz. He didn't have to blitz because he had Reddick, and that allowed him to do what he wanted. You know, we got Kaiser White. I don't know what that really added over Alex Singleton. Well, I think they added a guy who fit the defense more. Yeah, and then... I think that White fit what Gannon wanted those guys to do. Because remember, Singleton went to Denver, and he was still piling up tackles like he was in Philadelphia. So it wasn't like the guy couldn't play. He just was a bad fit. Bad fit, right. Um, you could say Nelson was a down... I mean, uh, Bradbury was an upgrade over Nelson. Definitely. Significantly. Even though so, Steven Nelson had a good game of the week. Okay, so my question then is, the nine-win team that got knocked out to the team that went to the Super Bowl. Right. You really had three pretty big changes. Correct. You had A.J. Brown on offense, and then... Reddick, Reddick defense. and Bradbury added to the defense. And C.J. Gardner-Johnson. That's true. C.J. Gardner-Johnson. So you had four. Four. Okay. So I guess the question would be, so let's, um, let me just go to that 2022 team that went to the Super Bowl last year and look at that. Versus just to, 2023? Well, like, you take a look at what you had on um, – what you had on the offensive side of the ball. Well, the offensive line is the same except for Isaac Sayamalu. Yeah, Sayamalu. So from this year to last year, the only change is really Sayamalu. Well, Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders, he's in Carolina, and you brought in DeAndre Swift. Yes, that's it. They're and the only changes. Those are the only really significant changes. Mm-hmm. And on the defense, you did have a lot of changes. A bunch but, of turnover, yeah. But my question is then, is this a mess, or is this? Can I just add? We said you went from a wild card team to a Super Bowl team by really making four significant moves, right? Do you have the blueprint that you can do that this time around? They made a trade for C.J. Gardner Johnson, correct? So, you know, can you basically say on offense we're going to have the same personnel? Mm-hmm. We're going to need a new right guard. We think we have that in-house. Brown's here. Smith's here. Goddard's here. They're going to need a new running back. You could probably draft a guy. The problem when you draft a running back is you don't trust him in pass protection a lot of times. Yeah, I think what you well, – I mean, Gainwell's the only running back under contract right now. So, you know, maybe something where you keep Gainwell, you re-sign Swift, and then you you tell – well, you're definitely not bringing back Penny – I mean, can you even rationalize bringing Boston Scott back at this point? If, he, if I'm Boston Scott, I tell them thanks, but no thanks. I mean, the guy barely got any playing time. He was the highest paid running back, Mike, and he barely played this year. Mm-hmm. No, he he, his, he got paid to stand around in uniform. He that's been his whole career here, though. But he had way more playing time last year. He did it than this year. He had two games when he played because of injury that inflates his numbers against the Giants typically but in any other game he never really has a role on the team and that's why to me if I'm him I just say all right I'm out of here now the Eagles at running back Swift is a free agent Boston Scott's a free agent is Gainwell a free agent as Gainwell well is not Penny's a free agent too by the so way. are you really Ready to just say Gainwell, you're the guy, and no. then we're going to draft another guy, and it'll no. be Gainwell, and then that guy. No, because Gainwell has shown you that he cannot be a consistent guy in terms of production. Well, if they, if I said they need to, 
Are they going to make any moves on the offense at all? I think they could probably they, – they need to upgrade the, the number three wide receiver. They thought that's, Zacchaeus that's, – Okay, that's a good one. They thought Zacchaeus was going to be that guy. It didn't work out. They brought in Julio Jones. Julio Jones had three receiving touchdowns, more out of necessity than he was actually impacting the team. Yeah, no, no the third wide receiver is a good one. They def- definitely need a better third option. That's a part of the offense. You can't have a two wide receiver, you know, tandem. Often, you can't have two options at what like it was like as the year went on. Teams were saying you're not going to beat us with these two guys. You're going to have to evolve a little bit. Like for example, you look at the two teams that played the other night when it was the Lions and the Rams. Those are two teams that are perfect examples of there has to be a third and fourth guy the quarterback is throwing to because you saw in that game specifically that Goff and Stafford realized. Man, our number one options are getting locked out of some of these possessions. I have to go to my third and fourth guy. The Eagles don't have a legitimate third and fourth guy. No, and they and they've drafted these guys. And look, Watkins, come on, it's I'm enough with, with Watkins. the Watkins. Um, he was a six round pick. He's sloppy. That he, guy's gotten less playing time every year. Well, the next play he makes will be his first play in my for me. So. <laughs> He he! I'm done with Watkins. They need to move on and upgrade that position. Somebody just texted in. They need to get a better backup tight end. I'm okay with that if you want to add another guy in that spot. But realistically, I think you're right. The third wide receiver is the one spot on offense, and now you're going to need a running back. You're definitely going to need a running back. But, I mean, you can draft a guy at running back and probably – sign a veteran player and pair them up together, and you might have Gainwell here, and, and he still has a similar role. I mean, I would bring back Swift. And listen, I'm no Gainwell fan, so. Yeah. I mean, I would bring back They're Swift. They're not paying Swift. Well, it depends on how much what the, what the market's going to demand. You know, if you can get him at a at a price that's not going to, you know. Well, if you're Swift, you. do you want to even come back? Well, I had my best year of my career in an Eagles uniform. You did, but you're, my point is, okay, you're my best year. Now I'm going to ask him for money, and they're going to say we don't pay running backs. But does he go in there knowing that and not ask for a ton of money? Come on, you know. Does, does he go in there and Miles say, Sanders didn't want to leave? They didn't offer him anything because they didn't want to have to make an offer to a guy who had 1,200 yards rushing. So he went and got what six million dollars a year. Yeah, he's on a horrible team. You're right, but still, that's the problem. Is the year that Swift had, he's not going to be able to come in and say, hey, give me the veterans minimum. Like, the, the union's not going to let him do that. No. I just. But your, your thing I is, be, oh, I, I want to be here, so I'll just take whatever you offer me. True. Like, that's not going to happen. I, I just, I would be surprised if they let him go because of the season that he had. That's all. I mean. They didn't I, use him. What was he, six in the NFL in rushing yards this year? They did use him. They just didn't use him enough. Yeah, they didn't use him enough. They didn't use him well. He didn't catch the ball. I mean, he was just a not like if I was to say what were some of the factors in this offense. One of the factors of this offense was was that Swift was a non-factor. Well, like, didn't... did they win? They won maybe two games this year because of Swift. The Bucks game, the first one, and the Vikings game, and the Vikings. So you're game. going back like 20 weeks from from when the last time Swift 
had an impact in why you won a game. But that's not because Swift went, you know, bad. It's just because they just weren't using him when they should. Yeah, but that's my point is part of the all-encompassing of why they're not going to sign him. And you're saying that maybe Swift feels the same way, that I can if be a I, better weapon. If if I'm Swift, I don't want to play here. I, I hate it the way you used me. I mean, yeah, I had 1,000 yards. Um, I almost asked backwards myself into a thousand yards. You, not because of how you used me. I, I mean, you go. He had a hundred and seventy-five yards in week two, right? Rushing. He had a hundred and thirty yards rushing in week three. He didn't have a hundred-yard game the rest of the year. I believe it. So one week he had twenty-eight carries against Minnesota. The next week he had sixteen. And then after that, and listen, some of it is on him, too. I mean, I thought that he was a little overrated, to be honest with you. It's not like the carries. He had 16 carries against Tampa. He had 130 yards. He had 14 carries against Washington. He had 17 against the Rams. He had 15 against Miami, 16 against Washington, 18 against Dallas, 14 against Buffalo, 18 against Seattle, 20 against the Giants. I mean, he just wasn't as productive. Is that him? Is that a little, you know, and receiving, and this isn't his fault. He was just a complete non-factor in the receiving game. And that is where he kind of. That's the way, that's how he got his, uh, his calling card. Because yeah. in Detroit, he was the receiving running back. So if I'm him, I, I don't like the way they used me. Oh. Uh, or And if I'm Philadelphia, you probably say he had. Too productive of a year for us to afford you to bring you back. Now, is he back here? I'm not going to rule it out and say no, but I would doubt it just because of where you are financially now. And you're, you're in a situation where yeah. you're probably going to have to cut guys and eat the money, which means I can't pay guys that I might want to keep. And that's why you say they could always draft a running back. And that's another thing. You can always draft a running Get back. Get him on an inexpensive deal for a and couple Gainwell years. And Gainwell has still got another year, and you don't like Gainwell, and I don't like Gainwell, and everybody listening doesn't like <laughs> Gainwell, but they trust him and they like him. So they can say, look, we got Gainwell under contract. We'll bring him back, and we'll sign a guy, and we'll draft a guy. We'll right. sign a guy for, for the veterans minimum, so much like saying, they did with Penny. Right, so you're saying with the offense, you would probably get a new running back, probably a new uh, number three receiver, and – Somebody's gonna be the new right guard because Jurgens is moving this. Yeah, side. and I would think Steen's the guy. Steen, Driscoll, or fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. Um, defensively is where you've got to get creative now. Yes, and I think the backup quarterback thing is interesting because you can't spend the same. Moshe brought this up earlier, and I agree with him. You can't spend the same money that you did on backup quarterback now because you're paying the starting quarterback so much, and that contract starts to kick in now. And you can't pay $7 million for a guy that's not going to play when you have so many other problems on defense that you have to, to, to fix. Right. And if you're someone, if you are a good backup quarterback, you're not going to take some cheapo deal just because. Yeah. Well, I, well like for instance, the quarterbacks that are free agents, you got Kirk Cousins, obviously not. Baker Mayfield, obviously not. Jacoby Brissett, mm, he's going to get paid. He's going to get paid well. Right. Minshew, he's not coming back here. No. Flacco, he was already here once. He don't fit here. No. Mason Rudolph, no. Jameis Winston, he's going to get. That'd be funny, actually, but no. Sam Darnold, Ryan Tannehill, and Josh Dobbs. Now, here's the thing. Tannehill is athletic. 
Yeah, but he's would, not going to take. He's would not gonna... he be willing to take a lesser deal because he knows he's near the end of his career? No, no, um, not for what the Eagles I think can afford at that position. The running backs, you got Saquon Barkley. By the way, can we say your worst nightmare is them signing Dobbs? <laughs> I mean, nice kid. <laughs> uh, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, Pollard, Eckler, Swift, Henry, Moss. So, I mean, I think there's a group of running backs here. The problem is teams are going to have a tough to sit. Barkley's obviously the guy. Josh Jacobs is next. Pollard, disappointing. Eckler, you got to be in that boat now where you think he might be done. Yeah. Uh, Henry said the other night that he thinks he says he wants to rush for 2,000 yards again. So, I don't know. You're going to sign Henry? Could this be an offseason where the Eagles do what they did where the one year out of right field they brought in DeMarco Murray? <laughs> it didn't work out, though. No, but I'm just saying, like, <laughs> you know, hey, we'll get people excited. We'll bring in a big bruising back. Do you get Arthur Smith as your offensive coordinator oh and gosh. sign Derrick Henry? <laughs> um. Well, you made the mo- comment to Mosher earlier about, you know, is this a situation where you bring in, you know, a coordinator who has more experience than Brian Johnson to offset, you know? So, yeah, I, I know a buddy of mine is, is pushing for Vrabel and Arthur Smith to reunite and, and bring those two guys in together. And I said, right, well, does Derek Henry come with them? Because <laughs> no, I don't like the deal. way I don't like the way they use B. John Robinson in Atlanta this Hated year. It. Yeah. it was horrible. And I get it. They didn't have a great quarterback down there. So, well, that's also Smith's fault because he's the one who said, "Oh, let's." I like Desmond Ritter. Like the only person on earth who liked Desmond Ritter was Arthur Smith. Everyone else saw that that guy. Yeah, but I'm not blaming his um, choice of quarterback on the way that he used the the, the running back. That, I'm just that, I'm just saying that I don't like his decisions in general. Yeah, I, if he's the offensive coordinator, I don't know. A lot of people liked the job that he did with that. Tennessee team when he had A.J. Brown, right. Derrick Henry, Tannehill. Well, maybe Vrabel is the only person who could, hold, could rein him in. Because... So that's what I'm saying. Like, if you brought Vrabel and Arthur Smith, you would have A.J. Brown. I just said you signed <laughs> Derrick Henry. Derek Henry, and you have, you know, you have the band back together. Run they the won, ball, Mike. They won 13 games, that team. They no, did. I didn't say run the ball. You got A.J. Brown. I think that year Tannehill had, like, 4,000 yards passing. Yeah, it's either like 3,800 or 4,000. Yeah, don't check. put words in my mouth. I'm uh, just saying fans <laughs> going to want to hear, you know, Well, I'm saying Arthur Smith did a good job that year of being balanced with Henry and Brown and Tannehill as the quarterback. So you would have that kind of dynamic. We're going off the, the rails a little bit. But uh, they need to find that third wide receiver. That's something to me that they need to kind of focus on big time. They also, to me, need to, and I thought John Marks brought up the point earlier, which was a good one. Where they're drafting in the draft is is deep. They're like 26, 27, somewhere around there. Right. So they do not do a good job drafting corners. So he was advocating for... Signing a corner, I mean, trading for a corner. Similar to what they did with C.J. Gardner-Johnson a couple of years ago at safety. Similar to what they did a couple of years ago with Ronald Darby at corner, where they went out and traded for the upgrade as opposed to... Now, Jalen Johnson is a free agent. That was a guy that they liked at the trade deadline last year. He's, also a, guy that, somebody? he's also a guy that John McMullen said they liked in the draft. 
when he was coming out. Right. So I think you can see them possibly signing a guy, trading for a guy. But then what do you do with who you already but have? But then what do you do with the guys you already have? you're stuck with the Bridebury and Slay contracts. Yeah. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. By the way, really quick, the year that uh, Derrick Henry rushed for 2,000 yards, Ryan Tannehill had 3,800 passing yards. There you go. And you know what they averaged that year scoring-wise? 30.7 points per game. Yeah, that Tennessee team was really good. 13-3, and three, number one seed in the uh, well, AFC. They were 11-5, and five, number one. Uh, what year were they 13-3? and three? Was Arthur Smith the – he was the guy then, too. Uh, let me double-check that. I'm just going back to the year that him and that Tannehill and um, Henry is the monster year together. Uh, text board is open, 609-403-0973. They were 12-5 and five, uh, in 2021. They went 13-3 and three one year, did they not? Uh, that was a decade earlier. Decade They, they went 13-3 and three in uh, 2008. Huh. They were the number one seed like two years ago, weren't they? In 2021. They were 12-5 and five a year. Yeah, you were you were a win off. I thought they were thirteen and three, but okay. But they were the number one seed, and Arthur Smith Vrabel. So there's a there's a potential package you could put together. You can have AJ. Actually, Crum. Arthur Smith was not the offensive coordinator that year. It was Todd Downing. Arthur Smith had already left. All right, well. so you're giving Smith too much credit. <laughs> All right, Sports Bash <laughs> Live. I see the text messages. Uh, if they had to improve something on offense, what would it be? And defense, they got a lot of issues. We'll continue to look at it. Plus, Nick Sirianni's future. What do you guys think? Stay or go? Let me know. 609-403-0973. Scenes. We have traffic. You come with me. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. 532 Sports Bash. It's the divisional round of the NFL this weekend. And you can listen to all the games here on 97.3 ESPN. Saturday, a pair of games. Sunday, a pair of games. That's at our first look at this week's NFL schedule, which um, is kind of interesting. I mean, it's like, uh, I don't know. I'm not like, uh, I can't wait for this particular. Is there a game on the schedule this week? I guess Kansas City-Buffalo might be the most intriguing one. That one for sure. Also, Houston and Baltimore's has a lot of intrigue to it. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I think the uh, Browns in Boston and Baltimore would have probably been a much better. I mean, I like Stroud. Don't get me wrong. But I think Cleveland's defense, they beat the Ravens during the season. Well, the Texans just exposed the Cleveland defense. Yeah, I know. Just, uh, I don't know that. Look, the Texans are a team that is far. I mean, are they this year's Bengals? Is C.J. Stroud that big of a quarterback difference? Is uh, C.J. Stroud to the Texans what Joe Burrow was to the Bengals? Could be. Could be. I mean, he was that good this year. Um, could Houston be the one team that nobody thought had any shot, and they go on the road three games and make it all the way to the Super Bowl? They have a chance. They're right there. So Houston on Saturday is the first game, 430, playing Baltimore. Baltimore is at home. I got to imagine Baltimore is a pretty decent favorite here. Um, I mean, if Baltimore loses this game, that would be huge problems. Yeah, big time. Um, nine and a half, Baltimore. You nailed it. Almost every book is nine and a half, but two. Wow. Nine. You come out of the gate firing. 
Yeah, I figured Baltimore would be a pretty heavy favorite in the game. I mean, I don't know. Houston's a fun team, nice team, good uh, story so far. I love Stroud, but this is a pretty, this is a big jump. Former Eagle uh, D'Amico Ryan's the head coach. Mm-hmm. Derek Burnett, by the way, has had a resurgence in Houston. Yeah, he's been very good down there. He's playing that Y nine system down there. All right, Green Bay, San Francisco. This is the eight o'clock game, and um, Green Bay obviously ripped Dallas last week. Love. Do you have any love for this game? Uh, minimal. I think. I mean, I don't say minimal. I'm intrigued. Put it that. Way. I'm intrigued to see if Green Bay has a, an encore here. Did they? You know. Roll the dice and and hit craps uh, every time in Dallas. Are they out? You know, are they? Is there any Yo Elevens left in there? <laughs> San Francisco. I gotta imagine is a. I'm gonna say San Francisco. I've, I I want to say ten, and now I'm thinking oh, should I San Francisco eight and a half. San Francisco is nine and a half. Okay, split the difference there. Every book is nine and a half, by the way. There's no variance. Yeah, I mean, San Francisco having the rest, not having to play. Green Bay having to play last week. And then, you know, how many times do you see that team that has the fun, they score all the points, and then the next week they just kind of fall flat in their face. Yeah, I mean, Houston last week, same thing. Green Bay last week. This is the whole thing where one week does nothing for me what you're going to do the next week. Yo, you're going to play your best football. Houston played its best football. Green Bay played its best football. I don't know that that's going to do anything for them the following week. What you do one week I don't think has any carryover to the next week because the opponent is now different. Their game plan is now different. So you could put up 48 that week, but guess what? What you did to score 48 is now on tape, and a good team is going to take some of those things away. And also, styles make fights. You know, you may, like we just mentioned, the Browns defense, you might be able to expose them, and I'm going to have to see into somebody else. The Packers exposed. I said the Browns defense got exposed one week, but you're not playing the Browns defense right, again well, next week. And that's what I said. You're, you play the Browns one week, and then what you did against them, if I'm Baltimore, I look at the good things you do, and then I take some of those things away and say, you did it against them, you're not doing that against us. Like, that play worked last week. Now we're going to be ready for it. Also, you know, Baltimore and San Francisco might have a, a personnel grouping that is better equipped to deal with what the Texans and the Packers do. So I like uh, Green Bay. I mean, I like the, the Niners in Baltimore in those two games to kind of dominate the games. I, I think I take them in a cover situation here, even though those numbers are pretty high. I don't know that they're both. Cl- I don't. I'm going to say they get blown out, but like, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, thirty, twenty, something like that. You know, where you're you're kind of just not in the game. That covers the spread. Yep, that's what I'm saying. Like both games were just kind of like, yeah, you know. Packers were a part of the most watched game during NFL Super Wild Card Weekend, by the way. 40 Not million a surprise. People. Not a surprise. 40 million. What about the Eagles Monday night? How many people? 28.6. They figured were... the Eagles, the Monday night thing, you thought, hey, this Eagles team, I don't know, were you interested in them, not interested in them? Are you surprised the Bills had more viewers than the Eagles Bucks? No, because... Um, it was an afternoon game, which is a little weird, but it was on network television. Mm-hmm. But the whole snow weather thing, I think people like to kind of see 
and Pittsburgh's in the game. That's true. You know, so you get a good Pittsburgh kind of uh, audience. And the uh, CBS, I'm sorry, walked away with $31 million for that one. I'll tell you what, though, 430 on a Monday, it gives you the thought moving forward, do they do that next year now, go 2-2-2 two, 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 two. instead of 2-3-1. It's also interesting how much of that was because it was Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Well, it's going to be Martin Luther King Jr. Day next year on the same day. Well, that it- Monday, Well, that Monday is always falls on the first weekend of the playoffs. Okay. Yeah, so that first Monday after... So you can do 2-2-2 two, two, two and not lose any traction. Yeah, because I remember you know, last year the Eagles did not play in the wild card round. Correct. And the Sixers play on Martin Luther King Day. Yep. We aired the game last year, but because the Eagles played this year, uh, we had our obligations at Ocean. We did not you know, air the game this year, but we... Um, yeah, th- so you'll have that day to play two games if you want. So it's an interesting idea. Yeah. Hey, listen, the NFL is always looking for another window, another way to squeeze a game, squeeze more money. Yeah, they should pay you commission for that idea. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I'll get a check. <laughs> uh, Sunday, Tampa, Detroit. They played earlier this year. I think Detroit won the game. It was kind of like a eh, game. I don't think Tampa's any good. I got to imagine Detroit's favored by, I think, another one where they're they're probably favored by, like, eight, eight and a half. I'll go eight and a half Detroit. I mean, Tampa's just not good. You want a little too much juice there. It's actually six and a half Detroit mm. is favored in the game. There's a lot of money coming in on the Bucks, so maybe that's part of the reason why the number got moved a little well, bit. Well, they looked – I mean, they dominated the Eagles, so maybe you got people – I don't know. I mean, to me, Tampa, that game should have been 50. They, they should have crushed the – I mean, they did, but the game was too close for too long. A good team would have blown the doors off the Eagles, and I know the score they did, but the Eagles were a play away, like the whole third – like up and through the third quarter. Well, you're, what you're saying is, like, for example, if the Eagles would have played at Detroit, Last week, they instead of at Tampa, they would have been they would have lost like forty nine to yeah, nine. They would have got Rochambeau. All right, last one. Kansas City, Buffalo, in Buffalo. By the way, yes, this is an unbelievable stat. It's the first road game that Mahomes has ever played in his career. That is correct, sir. Unbelievable. Every single game he has played has been at home. Lucky guy, right? Well, I mean, they've always been good, but to say that you've never had to go on the road one time. I'm saying there's got to be some luck involved in that. Like, it's never happened before. Um, This is an interesting one. I mean, Buffalo is like the favorite to win the Super Bowl of, other than Baltimore, of the rest of the teams. They're like the, the third best. So i got to imagine they're favored. Well, I know they're favored. I, they're at home. They're favored, definitely. They're favored. Buffalo won the game at Kansas City. Earlier this year, yeah. So Buffalo, give me Buffalo. I want to say like the the customary three. But I got to say Buffalo like five. Give me Buffalo five. Should have gone with your instinct, Mike, because half the books have three, half them have two and a half. Oh, two and a half. There's a couple that have two and a half, yeah. There's one, two, three. There's four of them that have two and a half. 
Huh. So the rest are three. The, the people aren't uh, buying into Buffalo as much as I thought. I thought that's see, I thought the money would come pouring in on Buffalo and push the number up that it would start at you know, if you're in the three range, you're pushing it up. Now the it opened at two and a half at certain books, it's moved to three since then, and the money is actually even. It's fifty one percent, forty nine percent. Uh, I'm surprised by that a little bit. I figured everybody loves Buffalo. They're the story. You know, I had a guy text in yesterday because I said that before the season started that I think Buffalo's window's closing a little bit here. And look, I think Buffalo is a byproduct of what is a very watered-down AFC. I don't know. And look, Buffalo's window might be more open than I gave them credit for. Well, to your point earlier, they fired a coach. They made somebody else the office coordinator, and ever since then, mm-hmm. they got better. Yeah, they made a decision. They were 6-6, six and six, I think, when that happened, so like week 12, a little bit before the Eagles made their decision. But they made the decision because the team was in somewhat turmoil. The Eagles did it at 10-2. and two. <laughs> So, yeah. and you might say, well, look, they got two games where they got blasted by two good teams, but Buffalo was a team that was in peril of making the playoffs. But that's an example of a team that did fire somebody, and it worked. And six, six, now they're on the verge. 609-403-0973. Uh, I'll wrap up the show, read and react to your text messages. I got a bunch of them on the uh, other side, so I'll read those coming back. Or Sports Bash. Wrap it up Wednesday night here on 97.3 ESPN. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. All right, 549 Sports Bash. Some time to chime in if you want. Glenn in Northfield offense. What's going to happen in the backfield? Ah, man, Glenn, I think you're going to see Gainwell back and then a guy drafted. I would imagine Swift, they let walk. Uh, Defense, middle linebacker, quarterback. Yeah, I guess Dean will be back. But I think you got to try to get two guys in there. Uh, Defense impacts safety. It's a good safety free agent class. So you might be able to go out that way and find somebody. You you can't play Blankenship. And Sidney Brown getting hurt, I think, really hurts. Because I think he was a guy that you could have actually played and, and got something from. So that you would only need one safety like, if, if you told me Sidney Brown was back as your starting safety and then you got another guy in free agency, you know, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson was a playmaking safety. They didn't have a guy that could make a play. I think Blankenship is fine if you want to have him as, like, the depth guy. He can't play. You can't have him out there 17 weeks. Uh, Mike Josh beat me to it. The only offensive upgrade in my mind would be a third wide receiver. Adding Calvin Ridley may be too much money. Higgins only 24 would definitely be too much. Boyd would be less. Phil and bring a team. Yeah, I agree, Phil. It was a good point by Josh. I think you need a third wide receiver, a viable guy. I mean, Ridley, Higgins, those guys I think are a little too high profile. I mean, still you're the third guy around Brown and Smith. So the third guy is still not going to be a huge part, but I think the, the third guy needs to be a bigger part of this offense. I mean, the, the, the third guy this year was non-existent. I mean, how many catches did the third guy get in this offense? I mean, how many targets did he even have? I mean, I think I had more targets. I never even went in the stadium. 
mean, really, it, it was bad. The third guy is just, it was never a part of your offense. Um, the third guy this year had Zacchaeus had 20 targets, 10 catches. Watkins had 15 catches. He had 21 targets. Think about that. That's terrible. Zacchaeus played all 17 games. He had 20 targets the whole year. I mean, come on. The the third wide receiver combined, Zacchaeus, Watkins, Jones, and, and Britton uh, Covey, they combined. <laughs> I mean, if I'm a third receiver, I don't want to play in this offense. Are you kidding me? Um, Covey had six targets. Jones had 19. Watkins, 21. So he had 42 targets. Targets between Zacchaeus and Watkins. And then Jones had 19. So he had, what, 60? My God. That's just dreadful. So if you're the third receiver in this offense, you're saying, yo, coach, you got a route for me? Anything? So to answer your question, Phil, yeah, they need a third upgrade at third wide receiver, and they need a big one. Uh, Let's see what else we got here. Any concern about Goddard? He's played 14 games, which is right in line with most he's ever played, and he's had his worst year since his rookie year. Last time his stats were this bad, 2020. Uh, I'm not concerned about Goddard as much as I don't think they used him very well. I think Goddard's a great weapon, but this offense for him stunk. His targets, he had 83 targets. What did he have last year, Goddard? I mean, he had 592 yards. He was on pace for 1,000 yards last year when he got hurt. He was such a big weapon in the offense last year. This year, he was insignificant. And I think the offense of play design was a huge factor. So, no, I'm not concerned about Goddard. If I'm Goddard, though, I'm starting to get concerned. Are they going to think about replacing me? Because he's right around the age and time where Ertz got, uh, where they drafted Goddard to replace Ertz. So I would think the Eagles are looking for that next guy to replace Goddard. That would be uh, something I would keep an eye on. But I definitely think that they're going to, you know, Ertz still had a pretty good year when Goddard was a rookie. And they kind of played them together, but they were phasing Ertz out a little bit. Mike, depending on how Howie can get out of the Bradbury deer and possibly Slade deal, I don't see how you fix the defense for next year. And now you got to replace Kelsey most likely. Um, well, Kelsey's replacement's already here. So that's something you don't have to pay for. So that's a positive, right? You don't have to pay to replace Kelsey. He's already here. And Steve's here too. So you don't have to pay to replace any of the guys that you have to replace on the offensive line. Mike, I agree with you. I thought Swift was severely overrated. Seemed like every other rush he was missing a hole. He just bounces everything outside. Yeah, I wasn't overly impressed with Swift unless the hole was huge. And then he showed his speed. When he got the chance to show his speed, yeah, I love that. But I don't think his vision was great. I thought he was a little overrated even coming here. But, you know, he's fast and he was from Philly. <laughs> so people liked him. But I, that kind of stuff doesn't uh, pull on my heartstrings all that much. Uh, Mike, Jalen Carter and Davis are defensive keepers. The rest can go. Reddick and Sweat were horrible. Reddick hasn't stopped slipping and sliding since the Super Bowl. I don't even know that Davis is a keeper. 
mean, I think he's going to be here, but they, had a, they couldn't even play him the other night. They had a Mil- I, I like Milton Williams. I told you that in the offseason last year, and he probably had one of the best games of anybody. All right, we'll talk more about it tomorrow. Josh has game night next. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, everybody.